guys. Here we go. It is Friday, August 4th, 2023. BK here coming at you from San Diego. 11.54 a.m. Go ahead and follow me on social media. Check out that Twitter or X again. <laughs> Nobody's going to call it X. For breaking news throughout the week, at Bravo Kilo Actual. And uh, send me messages on Instagram, at BK Actual. As we go ahead here, one quick announcement, you guys. Um, I, I put this out on both Twitter and Instagram. I wanted to just quickly talk about the uh, the Patreon, and I don't usually do that at the beginning of the podcast, but you know, the first of the month came, and that's when the uh, Patreon funds kick in. And some glitch or something happened to Patreon because I looked at it, and there was a big number of declines, but it was saying like fraud. And then I went back later and looked, and the fraud part was gone, but all the declines remained. And it, normally, I try not to complain about that too much because you know it's it's the nature of doing the podcast this way like i don't do advertising i rely on you my patrons to you know help me keep this podcast going um and so uh, i just will put out that it was a big number and uh, since then some of it's come back so a lot of you guys contacted me saying you know hey my stiff didn't go through at first but then i sent it in again and it went through nothing changed yeah it's really weird um, it, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, using Patreon. It's like every, you know, I, I lose, I'll gain two patrons and lose one patron. So it's always been like that. It's a grind. Um, incredibly, I'm in like the top three or 4% of patrons uh, of all Patreon users, which is insane. And it's, um, I'd love to keep it that way. So, uh, just long story short, if you guys would check your situation, I'd really appreciate it. And of course, if you love the podcast, you're a strap hanger, welcome aboard. Uh, and if you value what we do here, please consider going to Patreon and typing in BK Actual in the search box and uh, consider making a small pledge. Buck or two even is awesome. And many, many thanks to all of those you, who do. So I just wanted to make you aware of that. And uh, hopefully it bounces back. Okay, let's go ahead and get started internationally, of course. And let's go to South Korea where there was a weird like mass car rampage and stabbing uh, near Seoul. 14 people were injured. This was yesterday, Thursday, their time. And it was the city of Seongnam, a city southeast of Seoul. This is the second mass stabbing in the Seoul area within a month, and I remember the first one. So five of the victims were struck by a car that was driven onto a sidewalk near a subway station. And then nine others were stabbed following that inside the station. So the suspect was a 23-year-old male delivery worker. The authorities only identified him by his surname of Choi. He was arrested on charges of attempted murder. And they're still looking at a motive. But why do they always have to put this in? But the police believed mental illness had played a role. No, no, you think? Mental illness plays a role in all murders. But the suspect, they said, had no criminal history. He dropped out of high school and had received psychiatric treatment until 2020. Uh, he drove the attacker, his mother's car, to the train station and used two knives that he had bought at a nearby st uh, store the day before the stabbing. Okay, so, you know, pictures coming aboard here. Young guy driving his mom's car, uh, dropped out of high school. I mean, I think we can fucking pretty much paint a picture here. Uh, probably in cell, no doubt. 
And uh, what else? All of the victims were taken to nearby hospitals with severe wounds. Two of them do remain in critical condition as of right now. Five of those were hospitalized were men and eight were women. About half of the victims were in their 20s. This is a very busy subway station. And, you know, they, they call this like this city of uh, Siang Nam a you know, a suburb of Seoul or whatever, but it's still, it's, it's a middle-class city of about 1 million people. So it's not, it's not small. Now, mass acts of violence like stabbings, car rampages, etc., are rare in South Korea. And this is shocking to them because this comes less than a month after another stabbing at a subway station in Seoul left one person dead and three others injured. Now, in that case, the Seoul police identified the suspect as Cho Sun, 33 years old, and charged him with murder and attempted murder also. Uh, so there were, on top of all this, the, the city's kind of on edge because apparently there's murder threats floating around on social media saying stuff like, you know, there's going to be more stabbing soon at other, way, other subway stations around Seoul, and they listed, you know, times, dates, locations, etc., the cops said today that they are investigating those threats. They do suspect they are related to this latest attack. Um, so regardless of what the true motive is, the authorities are saying they are viewing it as an act of terror on innocent citizens. Well, we know again. I'm just going to go ahead and say, it, guys, as is the usual case in mass killings, the primary motivation here is not you know, terror. It's being an incel, you know, because... For the thousandth time, guys who are getting uh, getting it on are not prone to committing horrific crimes, as we know. Okay, so that's really all we know, and I'll, I'll update you if something else comes in. Let's keep going over to Pakistan. Did you guys see the video of that uh, bombing at the political rally? I put it out on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual, but, I mean, it's completely insane. The death toll is at least 54 people and that was just and that's as of a couple days ago I didn't do another check on it but the Islamic State affiliate in South Asia did claim responsibility for that suicide bombing in northwestern Pakistan by the way in addition to 54 confirmed dead there's 200 injured so this bombing happened Sunday it targeted a political rally in the Bajaur district near Pakistan's border with Afghanistan and the Islamic State Khorasan, you guys know them as ISIS-K, did claim that a suicide bomber had carried out the attack and they characterized it as a part of that group's war against democracy as a system of government. Now, this was among the deadliest terrorist attacks in months in Pakistan. You guys know they have a lot of militant groups operating along the border with Afghanistan and they've become more active over the past year. So... This is alarming because since 2014, it's been kind of calm. 2014 was when security forces carried out a major military operation in that area to flush the militants out. And it was, you know, chill for a while. But now you got several high-profile attacks this year. You guys will recall some of these from past podcasts. They include a bombing in Peshawar that killed more than 100 people. And then they had that assault on the police headquarters in the city of Karachi. And 
this seems to announce that ISIS-K, far from being defeated, is back and with a vengeance. So the big question is, hey, can Pakistan and their security establishment get rid of these militants without the American air and military support they have relied on since that 2014 security operation? Because now we're not around. And this has also brought up political tensions between the Pakistanis and the Taliban administration in Afghanistan. Pakistani authorities have accused the Taliban there of providing haven to these militant groups, and of course the Taliban have denied that claim. Uh, At least three people suspected of being involved in this latest attack have been arrested so far. They were being interrogated by intelligence and law enforcement agencies. Oh, I bet they are. (laughs) I bet they are. Bet they're getting some fingernails pulled out right now. Um, This attack was the first, or among the first, by a militant group on a political rally in Pakistan this year. And they're worried if this is going to affect the next general election, which will be this fall. And this is an important election because, you know, Pakistan's been going through that political instability that we've talked about. You guys remember that Imran Khan, former prime minister, he was forced out after that vote of no confidence in April last year. And ever since then, his supporters have been going at it, protesting in the streets, telling, saying the current government is illegitimate and everything else. So the current government now is expected to dissolve parliament in August, and they're going to hand over power to a caretaker government that will oversee the election process. The This is how they do it over there. The establishment of a caretaker government is constitutionally required to carry out a general election. So I guess guess every election they dissolve the parliament and then a group manages the election and only when the election is over does the new government takes place. Uh, Let me see. There's um, also, in addition to ISIS-K, you guys will remember the TTP. Remember that? That's the Pakistani Taliban. Uh, they're known as TTP because the English translation is a Tariq a Taliban Pakistan. And they're worried about them trying to target campaign rallies as well. The TTP, they're kind of an ally of the Taliban in Afghanistan. And they frequently attacked political rallies during Pakistan's 2008 and 2013 election seasons. And that group has seen a resurgence since the Taliban came back to power in Afghanistan in 2021. So watch for more violence over there. Let's go to Mexico. couple stories here. This one, you know, <laughs> you got to love Mexico. They are now the city, um, a, a city in Mexico, Chihuahua. You guys have all heard of that city. They are now going to ban performances of songs with misogynistic lyrics. That's right. They say, well, they, they will impose hefty fines on bands that perform songs with lyrics that, quote, promote violence against women, end quote, because they're doing this because they're fed up with persistent violence. They'll do everything except track down and imprison the people doing all the killings in Mexico. Isn't it remarkable? So this is the the latest and greatest stupid idea. They could face fines, the people who violate that ban, Ranging from U.S. $39,000 and $71,000. Whew, that's steep, dude. So the city council approved this ban unanimously this week. And it comes amid a rise in killings of women across Mexico in recent years. 
Uh, Chihuahua is a city of about 940,000 people, and they are struggling with their own cases of violence against women. The mayor, named Marco Bonilla, said about 7 out of 10 calls to 911 in Chihuahua have involved cases of domestic violence, mostly against women. Um, so who are going to impose these fines? How is this ban going to be enforced? Nobody knows. They did claim that money raised from the fines will be channeled to a women's institute in Chihuahua and a confidential women's shelter. Uh, yeah, these, uh, this law will apply to concerts and events in the city that require a municipal permit. Uh, the Lyric ban was passed about a month after Mexico's president, our buddy, AMLO, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, criticized songs known as Corridos Tumbados, or trap ballads. You guys have all heard these, you know, on... Uh, you remember in Breaking Bad? You guys remember the uh, ode to uh, Heisenberg? Remember the, the trio of the mariachi guys? Yeah, those are Korea. They, like, basically glorify, like, cartels and stuff like that. So, uh, Lopez Obrador said at a news conference in June, quote, We're never going to censor anyone, Holmes. They can sing what they want, but we're not going to stay quiet, is he? End quote. So, oh, this is, I've heard of this band. This is not the first time the city of Chihuahua has taken a strong stance against the performance of certain songs. Citing high levels of drug violence, Chihuahua banned the long-running band Los Tigres del Norte. You guys have all heard of that. I, I guarantee you, you have heard clips of their songs on Instagram or something like that, even if you didn't know they were listening. Huge, huge band. Because uh, they, they banned the that band in 2012, way back, after a concert during which the group performed three songs known as Narco Corridos. Those are songs that celebrate the exploits of drug traffickers. And they also find the concert organizers about $1,600 U.S. at the time. Yeah, like I said, they'll do everything except, you know, go after the cartels and either kill them or imprison them for life. Speaking of Mexico, they had yet another bus crash. I was like, I was having deja vu with this because I like just covered one. They had another bus crash in Mexico that left 17 passengers dead including three children. This was after a bus plunged into a 164 deep, 64 feet deep hillside in the western Mexican state of Nayarit. And authorities reported that 23 people, including the driver and the co-pilot, I guess that's what they call I'm reading from a ta British tabloid, I guess that's what they say, were injured and taken to the area hospital. So the driver was identified only as Francisco he survived the crash. He told investigators that he fell asleep behind the wheel and that he eventually lost control of the vehicle before it crashed through a guardrail. Is that... I'm just wondering, is this the same? Because this, this story, it's from the Daily Mail, but it's dated 3 August 2023. But I do believe it is a completely different one than the one I did. I think I did, what, the bus crash in Mexico, maybe like two podcasts ago? The bus was on its way to Tijuana, which is, of course, about 20 minutes away from me right now. Uh, there were four Indian nationals on board the bus, so that uh, I'm sure the country of India is not too happy with that. 
And it was a difficult rescue mission, as you can imagine. This is a very big ravine. Oh, here we go at the very bottom. Yeah, I was right. Uh, just last month, another bus crash in the southern state of Oaxaca left 29 people dead. And then in February, another bus crashed in central Mexico, killing 17. So, yeah, this happens like all the time. I don't know. You guys might want to friggin' tighten it up over there. Uh, and then uh, if you guys want, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but as long as we're on the subject of Mexico... I thought this was an interesting story. The New York Times has an article titled Mexico's Monster Trucks Show Cartels Taking Drug War to the Next Level. And it's all about how the cartels are modifying these pickup trucks with like gun turrets, battering rams, steel armor, all kinds of shit like that. So you should, um, they have a ton of pictures though. It's fascinating. A lot of Mexico's you know biggest cartels, including the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, are using these vehicles in gun battles with the cops. And then they have like other cartels, like the Gulf Cartel and the Northeast Cartel, and they're using the trucks to fight each other. Mexican security forces call these vehicles monstruos, which means monsters, but they're also known as rhinocerontes, or rhinos, and narcotanques, narcotanks. And the cartels decorate them with their initials or the latest in camouflage patterns because that like helps them blend in with official military vehicles. And it's it's pretty wild, man. You know, these trucks are rolling onto the streets of Mexico's violent towns, man. And it's like a you know, Mad Max shit going on there. So they have, uh, and you guys know the cartels of other weapons. They've got Barrett 50 cal sniper rifles. They've got rocket launchers. They've got rocket propelled grenades, RPGs. And of course, they're getting into the drone business. They've got drones fitted with remote detonated explosives. They're using IEDs uh, on the roadsides, including one used in an attack last month in Jalisco that killed six people. So these trucks kind of. Uh, came about in Mexico, you know, about 10 years ago. But they are multiplying and growing far more sophisticated, just like in the way that the narco submarines have. You know, they used to be very primitive, but, you know, the subs have gotten, like, better and better. So the progression of these armored trucks has kind of followed the flow of the elite soldiers into the cartels because... The um, they they were really pushing hard to recruit these guys, and the this kind of that's kind of started in the 1990s, and they were really recruiting Mex the Mexican Army's special forces into a paramilitary operation, and that later became the Zetas cartel. So pretty pretty scary, dude. Especially if you're a cop and you're I mean some of the a lot of times the cops are outgunned by these trucks. So lots of pictures, so go check that one out. Let's uh, lighten it up a little bit and go to Northern Ireland where a business tycoon was caught red-handed on camera inside the house of one of his employees uh, pleasuring himself. Mm-hmm. That's right. This would be Liam McMahon. He was caught by hidden cameras masturbating in the bed of his employee while she was out working in his shop. So this is in the news because he's, he's been sentenced. Um, he is not going to prison. He's 48 years old. This is like hard to believe, dude. It's, 
like it, the story is unclear about how he got access to this home. I'm assuming he owned the home and you know rented it out to this chick. But it the it's a tablet. It's not really like uh, clear again. But yeah, dude, this happened last December. But it's in the news because he's not going to jail. Like so, that's why it's uh, back in. But his employee managed the shop. She was concerned someone was breaking her property or and moving things around. She even thought she had some kind of spook, a poltergeist, a uh, haunt, whatever you want to call it. So the woman and her husband decided to st- install a motion sensor camera, and they he they caught this guy. He let himself into their home, and then they filmed him. Inside the couple's bed, completely nude, wearing the woman's underwear on his head while, yes, pleasuring himself. And yes, presumably he did finish. And I'm sure he finished many, many times. Because remember, they didn't install the camera until they thought somebody was moving stuff around. So he probably let himself into this place uh, quite a few times. And... This is like a, this guy's a big deal. He's a big, large businessman and uh, quite a million. They're saying his house is worth like millions of dollars, and this is this guy's a big deal. So, yeah, man, it's not like the good old days. You pervs, these people, they're on to you. Everybody's putting cameras inside the house. You got to be careful. How about Canadian news? Oh, you know I was going to cover this. Sad story out of Canada, guys. Justin Blackface Trudeau has separated from his wife, Sophie. That's right. The Canadian Prime Minister and his wife have been married for 18 years and have three children together. Uh, They did sign a legal separation agreement according to a statement released by the Prime Minister's office. Uh, And, you know, this is... You know, this is a big deal over in Canada. His wife and children have played a prominent role in his political career. They accompany him on trips overseas. You guys remember? You guys remember all the goofy photos? Remember? That's one of my favorite. Remember when Trudeau went to uh, India and he, his wife, and his kids all dressed up like it was friggin' Aladdin or something like that with the headdresses and everything. And then, like, two thirds of the Indian guys were wearing, like, you know, blazers, like Western clothing. Justin Trudeau is wearing like a turban on his head. Oh, I still remember that. That was great. Uh, Trudeau is 51 years old. They're not saying really anything here. Um, it shouldn't be any political fallout from Trudeau. I know I have a lot of Canadian listeners, and they insist to me that Trudeau is widely disliked in Canada. But, hey, the only poll that matters is Election Day, and he seems to be reelected pretty easily. Uh, you know, his father... Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre, he also separated in 1977 um, from his wife. And Pierre Trudeau served as prime minister nearly continuously from 1968 to 1984, dude. Yeah, so old blackface Trudeau, man. And there's, I'm sure there's like, like, hey, Canadian guys, like, send me the rumors. Because I'm sure there's like rumors of infidelity, um... I mean, Justin Trudeau is very, uh, very prim and proper and good-looking dude. Could he be into dudes? Will bet? Maybe? I'm just asking. I'm not saying he is. I would not cast aspersions like that. But I'm just wondering because they're just not saying anything. So that's too bad. Sophie's a good-looking woman. She'll be all right. 
How about, I spoke of India, I mentioned India earlier. Let's go to India. An Indian railway security guard has been arrested. He shot dead a colleague and three passengers on board a plane, a train, sorry. Yeah, killed four people. This was 33-year-old Chetan Singh. And apparently after the shooting on board the Jaipur-Mumbai Central Superfast Express train, it's a great name, he praised Prime Minister Narendra Modi and the Chief Minister of Uttar Pradesh named Yogi Adityanath. But yeah, they had a social... Dudes, this is the problem with X. This sentence goes, in one of the videos widely shared on the social media platform X, and I was like, what the hell? Is that some kind of Indian social media? I'd never heard of that. And then I realized, yes, it is Twitter. But yeah, you can see a video on Twitter, and Singh is standing next to a blood-soaked body with his rifle in one hand. And he is heard saying in one of the videos verified by Al Jazeera, quote, if you want to live and vote in Hindustan, I am telling you, it's only Modi and Yogi, end quote. By the way, Hindustan is apparently what the nationalists refer to India as. I did not know that. But yes, Singh is um, accused of shooting his security guard co-worker, who is 57 years old, and three passengers. Two of the passengers were Muslim. Presumably, uh, Singh is a Hindu. The third victim has not yet been identified. He allegedly fired 12 rounds from his service rifle to kill his colleague and one passenger, and he allegedly then killed two other passengers and two other coaches of the train. Wow. Apparently, Singh had been involved in an argument with his co-worker, after which he opened fire on his colleague using his service rifle. Jesus. They did describe this guy as having a short fuse, hot-headed, just lost his shit, dude. Uh, after the shooting, he got off the train and he was arrested. So they're still waiting for uh, you know some kind of motive, but on social media, they are um, all saying this was like some sort of um, like sectarian violence, you know, because of the Hindu versus Muslim thing. And indeed, a senior leader from the opposition Indian National Congress Party did call it a, quote, cold-blooded murder, end quote. And uh, that senior leader said the, quote, the genie of hate is now out of the bottle and it will take a lot of collective effort to put it back in, end quote. And he is blaming this on Narendra Modi's BJP party. If you guys have been listening to the podcast, you know that Narendra Modi has really pushed India as being a Hindu nation, even with a huge population of Muslims. So I don't have time to get into that whole thing right now, but I've talked about it in the past. So maybe we'll, we'll see. Uh, let's go over to Africa. And yeah, we got another country that's kind of uh, melting down a little bit. We've got deadly protests now in Senegal. Senegal's government has dissolved the country's main opposition party, and they detained its leader, on charges of, guess what? Fomenting insurrection. And this set off a new round of protests in which two people were killed on Monday. So the opposition leaders named Ausmane Sanko. And a series of legal actions against him has triggered some of the worst political violence in recent history 
in Senegal, which, if you didn't know, is a seaside nation in West Africa. And then the interior minister of Senegal said that on Tuesday, two more people were killed and five injured when attackers threw Molotov cocktails inside a bus transporting passengers in the capital of Dakar. He didn't say who was responsible or whether it was politically motivated. So Sanko, this guy, he's 49 years old. He's a mayor of a southern city, and he had really kind of gathered a lot of opposition to Senegal's president, Macky Sall. And Macky Sall is a key Western ally. And you guys know this region has had all kinds of military coups and all kinds of shit. So Sanko is a former tax inspector, and he wants to fight corruption, and he's very appealing to the country's youth. Um, he's got uh, apparently some rhetorical flourishes and all that. He, he has called for protesters to fill the streets and make the nation ungovernable. At one point, he said about the president, quote, the people are going to get him out of the palace and dragged him outside, end quote. The government blocked some internet service on Monday, and then they announced they were dissolving Sanko's political party, blaming their members for uprisings that have led to deaths and property destruction. And then on Friday, um, this would be last Friday, he was suddenly taken into custody, was Sanko. He had been holed up in his home since last month, awaiting the start of a sentence in which a woman who worked at a massage parlor accused him of rape. He was acquitted of rape, but he was convicted of, quote, corrupting youth, end quote. And his supporters are like, this is a political prosecution. Boy, doesn't all this sound familiar, you guys? Don't worry, I've got plenty of Trump stuff coming up. It'll bore You'll make your eyes glaze over. That's how much I have. Uh, so, yeah, on Monday of this week, he was charged with insurrection. His supporters got pissed off, and they took to the streets. So, this came two months after 16 people died during demonstrations around Sanko's rape trial. He got two years on those charges of youth corruption. And I, I vaguely remember talking about this. Many of the 16 people died after being shot with live ammunition. So, yeah, dude. Boy, 16 people died because they're protesting your, your trial. <laughs> Trump could only dream of such a thing. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. And uh, now, as, as long as we're in Africa, let's keep talking. Let's go back to Niger. You guys know from last week what's been going on over there, that, that coup that they had. So now, first of all, the coup leaders are not backing down. And now West African nations are saying they are going to take military action unless the coup is undone. So it could be a freaking giant shit show over there in the next couple weeks. Remember, soldiers seized power in a coup, a coup, a coup last Wednesday, uh, and they are demanding that the country's democratically elected president be restored to office within a week. So the demand was issued by the Economic Community of West African States, otherwise known as ECOWAS, is the uh, is the nickname for it. It's a 15-member regional bloc. They got together in Nigeria after this happened, and uh, they're all pissed off. So this echoes earlier calls by the United States and France, who of course are major security allies of Niger, who warned they will cut aid and military ties worth hundreds of millions of dollars unless the deposed leader, Mohamed Bazaum, is reinstated. Um, yeah, after coup supporters massed last Sunday outside the French embassy in the capital of Niamey, 
burning French flags and calling for the withdrawal of French troops, President Emmanuel Macron issued a stiffly worded warning. Any attack on France's citizens or interests in Niger will be met with a, quote, immediate and uncompromising, excuse me, guys, I can't talk right now, immediate and uncompromising, end quote, reaction. Uh, Yes, so this group of West African states vowed to take all measures necessary to restore democratic rule in Niger and said that, quote, may include the use of force, end quote. They also impose financial sanctions on the rebels who are led by the new self-declared leader, a guy named General, who this hell, this is a hell of a name, General Abdalrahmane Tichiani. I'll go with that. But this is a military coup, right? So it's known, also known as a junta, J-U-N-T-A. They are standing fast. They, they're saying, we're not going anywhere. And as a matter of fact, they warned forcefully against any foreign military intervention. A junta spokesman said on Saturday night in a televised statement, quote, we want to once more remind ECOWAS or any other adventurer of our firm determination to defend our homeland, end quote. They got a lot of protesters out there in support of the deposed leader, Bazaum. And not great. This coup caught a lot of people by surprise, including us. So, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to undo this. The fact is, a, once a coup happens, it's very hard to undo. Especially, like, you can undo it. With, if it's not undone within, like, the first three days, it's probably not going to be undone. But we'll see what happens. As far as troops, I told you guys the other week, France has about 1,500 troops in Niger. Remember, France ruled Niger as a colony until 1960. And there are about 1,100 American troops. Many of our troops are stationed at those drone bases used to carry out airstrikes against militants in Niger and uh, neighboring countries. So on Saturday of last week, France and European Union suspended some aid to Niger. And Secretary of State Antony Blinken said that American security ties worth about $500 million since 2012 were also in jeopardy. And if you saw any of this image on these images on social media, who, what country do you think is lurking in the background of all this? If you guessed Russia, you'd be correct. Coup supporters were waving Russian flags in the capital and even hung one on the wall of the French embassy. This happened also in Burkina Faso and Mali when people in those countries were celebrating coups in 2021 and 2022, respectively. Now, there's no evidence that Russia is behind this one, but, you know, Russia kind of lurks around and, hey, you know, we'll be your friend, you know. Hey, United States, they're always telling you what to do. You don't want to listen to that. We're not going to tell you what to do. So they're all around. So um, as far as the president, Bazaam, they're not certain where he is still. He's presumed to still be in detention at the presidential palace. And you guys probably saw at one point the rebels were not letting United States launch drones out of that drone base. I don't have an update in front of me. I don't know if they've resumed that or allowed them to or what we're going to do, really. Um, but Russia has been active in Africa. You remember in Mali, which is right next to Niger, if you didn't know, about a 1,000 members of Russia's Wagner Group, you guys all know them, have replaced about 5,000 French troops who pulled out of there last year 
Wagner is also a major presence in the Central African Republic. So now, the coup in Niger means that there is an interrupted line of countries stretching across Africa from the Atlantic to the Red Sea that are now under military control and not democratically elected. And many of those are former French colonies where these people grew up and were taught to hate the colonizers, especially the white European colonizers. And that gave these coup people a lot of support. They're like, no, we don't want to be, this is, we don't, we don't like these people and we don't want to be a part of that. So yeah, it's, it's pretty much coast to coast. We're talking 3,500 miles. Um, it's a line of six countries and it goes from Guinea in the West to Sudan in the East. I'm just looking at a map and yeah, it's if you go from east east to west, you'll see Sudan, then Chad, then Niger, then Mali, Burkina Faso is involved in there, Guinea, Senegal could also add to that. Pretty uh pretty interesting. I mean, I don't really think a lot of people are paying attention to what's happening in Africa. This is like major shit going on there. I think we're going to see a humongous war break out in Africa. And I don't think it's going to be very long until we see that. Hope I'm wrong, but it's not looking good. Uh, oh, here, I do have one update. August 4th, this story is. Uh, yeah, Niger's coup leaders sever ties with France. They claim that they have severed military ties with France, but the, the troops, the French troops, are still there. So I don't know if they're like putting them on buses and taking them to the airport or, or what they're doing. The leaders of the coup also dismissed Niger's ambassadors to France and the United States. Um, as well as the ambassadors to Togo and Nigeria. And Nigeria is an essential trading partner. I, this is like a suicide pact. Like, what do you, you're going to rule over a country of starving people and rubble. Actually, you know, the, um, the president of Niger, Bazaum, the deposed president, he actually wrote an opinion column published in the Washington Post, and he was calling on the United States and other allies to help restore constitutional order. So... You guys going to be fine with the United States sending in troops to Niger to go fight? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I should say, apparently a lot of Western experts are skeptical that West African countries are actually going to take up arms against the coup leader leaders. Um, anything else here? Oh, the mutinous soldiers in Niger flew to Mali this week, and they met with the mutinous soldiers there. <laughs> and then they also went to Burkina Faso and met with the mutinous soldiers in that country. Yeah, the fate of the French troops in Niger remained unclear on Friday today. We're not sure. Most had moved there from neighboring Mali last year. And you guys remember from the podcast, Malian military rulers had expelled the French troops. You remember that one? After they had, the French troops had been there for a long time, fighting and dying for that country against their Islamist problems, and their thanks was to get kicked out of the country. All right. Um, I'm just scrolling down here, making sure I don't miss any really important updates. Hmm. Yeah, oh, our, our, our buddy, Yevgeny Prigozhin, you know, head of the Wagner Group, he, he has praised the coup in Niger, and he offered Wagner's services to the military leaders there. So he's he's all about meddling. Anything else? I have one more story here. Um, just scrolling down. Um, yeah, you already know we threatened to cut aid. Uh, Mali, Burkina Faso. 
are defending Niger. And so, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, dude, since 2020, three of Niger's neighbors, that would be Mali, Burkina Faso, and Guinea, have experienced five coups. God damn. They don't, they do, they don't, they don't care what we do. You know what's crazy, too? You know what? Foreign aid worth $2.2 billion. Guess what percentage that makes up of Niger's national budget? Take a guess. Try 40%. Do you really believe Blinken or Biden has the nuts to cut to cut that? I don't know. I doubt it. I think they're going to talk, but we'll see. But we'll see if it kicks off, too. Uh, France is preparing Niger evacuations as we speak. A lot of people have already been evacuated. Is that it? Okay, that's it. Okay, let's move on. And what do we got here? Uh, Oh, let's go to this one. Let's turn back to the United States and talk about these Navy sailors, two of them charged with spying for China. The hell? One of them was right here in San Diego. Two Navy sailors in Southern California arrested and accused of providing military secrets and sensitive information to Chinese intelligence officials. One guy was named um, Jean Chao Wei. He was known as Patrick Wei, 22 years old. He was charged with spying for China under the Espionage Act. He served aboard the Essex, an amphibious assault ship moored right here at Naval Base San Diego, which is home of the Pacific Fleet. He was only a machinist's mate. Like, really, like, how much could he have possibly known? But investigators say he had the clearance that gave him access to sensitive national security information. Well, that, that could be anything. And not that I'm excusing it. I'm just saying they, they church up classified stuff quite a bit. You know, the shape of a fucking doorway in one of our aircraft carriers could be classified technically. You know what I'm saying? But still, it's a no-go. The second sailor was a petty officer, Wen Hang Zhao, 26 years old. Presumably, both of these guys are of Chinese descent. He was charged with taking bribes in exchange for providing sensitive U.S. military information to a Chinese intelligence officer posing as an economic researcher. Zhao, the petty officer, he worked at Naval Base Ventura County in Port Wainimi. Um, Now, this is alarming, and analysts are saying this reflects the Chinese government's deep interest in the Navy's Pacific Fleet this is part, of course, of a broad effort by China to steal American corporate and national security secrets. I should, you know, China's been doing this in academia for a long time now. And that's what they do. They try to steal all of our stuff and then uh, make it their own. So Wei, the 22-year-old, he was a naturalized citizen. And the district attorney here, in San Diego, said he chose to betray his newly adopted country rather than report inappropriate contact from a Chinese intelligence officer. This, the, the DA also said the, the, um, the section of the Espionage Act under which Wei has been charged has been used just a handful of times in the past few years, which underscores the seriousness of the crime. Apparently, Wei, he's the first guy I mentioned, the young guy, he, was, he began working for China in early 2022. So he's a machinist mate. He is an engineer trained to operate and maintain a range of equipment from small pumps to refrigerators to large machinery. Uh, he provided his handler with the defense and weapons abilities of U.S. warships as well as their vulnerabilities, communicating via encrypted platforms like 
Telegram or Signal, something like that. In one instance in June last year, the Chinese intelligence officer asked Wei for information about the, quote, number and training of U.S. Marines during an upcoming international maritime warfare exercise, end quote. Wei received $5,000 in another instance for 30 technical and mechanical ships manuals. Hmm. Let me see here. He was evidently seeking U.S. citizenship while working clandestinely with China. (laughs) Oh, and then he got it. His handler actually congratulated him when he received that U.S. citizenship. Isn't that great? Uh, The other guy, the petty officer, Zhao, he worked at an unnamed Chinese intelligence officer's direction from August 2021 through at least May of this year. And he sent that his guy electrical diagrams and blueprints for radar system on uh, Okinawa, Japan as well as operational plans for a large-scale U.S. military exercise in the Indo-Pacific region. He has not been charged under the Espionage Act, but he does face 20 years in prison if convicted. Both of these guys got thousands of dollars. Does not say... Oh, God. (laughs) I said, oh, God, because I got to the last sentence in this story. And I just rolled my eyes a little bit because in a news conference, the top FBI agent in San Diego, Stacy Moy, some chick. Uh, I'm sorry, it's a it's a dude. My bad. He told reporters that he wanted to emphasize that, quote, this is not and will never be an indictment of the Chinese people or ethnically Chinese Americans, end quote. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. OK, very good. There's your here's your here's your diversity cookie. Very good job, FBI guy. Doesn't say how they caught him at all. Obviously, they're going to keep that close to their chest. Probably um, counterintelligence stuff. Okay. Let's see. What else I want to do here? Well, I guess we, I guess I have to go to it. Okay. And get, let's talk about the indictment. As you guys know, the orange man, yep, he has been formally indicted on four more charges, which I, I now, uh, through all everything combined right now, he's facing something like 70 felonies plus. But he did appear in federal court in Washington after being over, indicted over his efforts to overturn his defeat in 2020. His first pretrial hearing has been set for August 28th. Um, let's see here. He was allowed to leave court without paying any bail or agreeing to any travel restrictions. Oh, man, it's pretty crazy, dude, the whole thing. Yeah, you know, it's 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 wild. Before I get to it, you know, just before I get to the actual indictment, I'm going to go over it, um, some of the things. The, the irony to me is that I feel the case in Florida, that those are the classified documents found in Mar-a-Lago, I feel that case is much stronger than this one, right? But... Because it's so black and white, especially the obstruction of justice charge in the classified documents. Because even if you believe that Trump could declassify everything, once the FBI was like, hey, we want those back, and then you hide them, you're obstructing justice, period, end of story. And they pretty much have him on tape admitting to hiding them. You know what I mean? So to me, that actual case is pretty black and white. But he's got a good chance of beating it because that draws from a Florida jury pool and he won Florida quite easily. Whereas this case in D.C., I feel it's kind of a reach in a lot of ways. But D.C. voted, I I heard on some interview, D.C. voted for Biden by like, it was 92% voted for Joe Biden. 5% voted for Trump with the rest voting for various candidates. So he's going to get convicted it's not a doubt in my mind he will be convicted in D.C. And if he is convicted, he's going to jail. 
Uh, so this could be historic. And then if he goes to jail, he could still run for president. And if he goes to jail, yes, he will have Secret Service guys in jail. <laughs> this is this is crazy. It's unprecedented. It's nuts. Now, interestingly, I'll get to all the charges and stuff in a minute. Um, but what's interesting to me, he was not charged with incitement, which makes sense, right? Because as I've said repeatedly, you know, these he had a rally, right? And he said, we're going to fight like hell. And all these people are like, oh, that means that means he wanted he's ordering people to go storm the Capitol. Oh, shut up. Every politician in the history of history has said something like, we're going to fight like hell. They all say that. It's a metaphor, right? Trump never said, I want you to march down the Capitol. I want you to bust those doors down. I want you to. He never said anything like that. And these you're, you're basically if you say Trump's responsible, you're saying that all these grown men who storm the Capitol have no agency. They're just mindless automatons, right? They're not responsible for their own behavior. I reject that argument. And if that was the argument, then shouldn't all the January 6th convictions be thrown out? After all, they were only doing what Donald Trump told them to do. They weren't responsible for their own behavior, right? You see how you can't balance those two things? So those people who were violent on January 6th, as I said at the time, absolutely should have been prosecuted for what they did. But they did that as adults with full agency of their actions, and you own that as an adult. So I'm kind of I'm tired of that excuse, like, well, they did it because Trump ordered them to. He didn't did no such thing. So he was not charged with incitement or any account that accused Trump of being responsible for the violence his supporters committed at the Capitol on January 6th, 2021, right? So... It, it they, all it said was uh, Trump quote exploited the the disruption end quote, but it didn't charge him with actually encouraging or inciting the mob right. So, um, I'll get into it in a moment because there's stuff in here that I didn't know, and it seems like more alarming than what I originally thought. So in December, the House Select Committee investigating. You guys remember that shit show on TV? They recommended the Justice Department charge Trump with several federal crimes, including inciting insurrection. But the uh, the special counsel, Jack Smith, did not include that charge in the indictment. Uh, let me see here. And just going down. I just want to get to this before I actually get into the actual text of the indictment because I have a uh, pretty good layout of it here. Here we go. Uh, so the ch as for the charges themselves, there are four criminal counts in the D.C. charges, right? A conspiracy to viol violate civil rights, a conspiracy to defraud the government, the corrupt obstruction of an official proceeding, and a conspiracy to carry out such obstruction. Okay, so um, one of the conspiracy to violate rights, that comes, that's the like old statute from like civil war days they congress enacted that after the civil war to go after white americans in the south to use who used terrorism to prevent formerly enslaved african americans from voting but then during the 20th century the supreme court upheld expanding use of that statute to election fraud conspiracies like ballot box stuffing so essentially on that one smith is accusing Trump of trying to rig the outcome of the election to falsely claim victory. Okay. Um, the, 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 the big one to me is the recruitment of the fake electors. And I have read story after story on this and heard interview after interview, and I still don't really understand it. 
this. Like it makes, so I just, I don't get it. Like, so you just did like, you found a bunch of people. Okay. You're an elector. I just don't understand it. Um, so let me, uh, go keep going here. The other one conspiracy to defraud the United States. That would be when he was like working with his lawyer, John Eastman, and the Justice Department was recommended to charge Trump and others with this by the House Select Committee. And that charge is a conviction holds uh, up to five years in prison. The third and fourth counts are closely related. Corrupt obstruction of an official proceeding and conspiracy to commit that crime. Any conviction under that statute is punishable by up to 20 years in prison. Prosecutors have been using those laws, this is Section 1512 of the U.S. Code, to charge hundreds of people who participated in the storming of the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, okay, so let's go to the... Well, before I get to the actual tech, let me play Jack Smith, the prosecutor. He made that... Uh, you guys probably saw. He made that um, statement a couple days ago, so let's listen to part of it at least and uh, see what uh, Jack Smith says here. Good evening. Today... An indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia, and it sets forth the crimes charged in detail. I encourage everyone to read it in full. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. All right, you get the idea. I'm just going to stop it there just because I have a lot to get to on this. Okay, so the actual indictment, I'm going to read from it uh, various sections, and there's helpful explainers here, right? So now, the very, uh, the, very uh, the second page, the Jack Smith lays out that Trump had a right to lie. You know, you have a First Amendment right to do that. Writes, quote, the defendant had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim falsely that there had been outcome determinative fraud during the election and that he had won. He was also entitled to formally challenge the results of the election, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so that does acknowledge that Trump, if he wanted to, yeah, you can lie. You can sit there at your rallies and you can scream that the election was stolen, you know, fraud. You can do all of that. You have a right to do that. So that's not what this is about. Uh, again, count one kind of, uh, talked about this. This is conspiracy to defraud the United States. And, um, that one's very convoluted. That has to do with uh, lawyer stuff. Now there are six people who have been identified as co-conspirators. Now the indictment does not name them, but since then a lot of them have come out. One is John Eastman, that lawyer. Another one's Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> Funny story on him later. You guys can probably guess which one. Um, but they do, they write out in the indictment, the defendant enlisted co-conspirators to assist him in his criminal efforts to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 presidential election and retain power. 
And then they list the six co-conspirators. Um, let me see here. Here's one of the, like, how he, how he's saying that, he, here's how the prosecutors are saying he did it. He, they write, the defendant and his co-conspirators organized fraudulent slates of electors in seven targeted states. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Attempting to mimic the procedures that the legitimate electors were supposed to follow under the Constitution and other federal and state laws. This included causing the fraudulent electors to meet on the day appointed by federal law on which legitimate electors were to gather and cast their votes cast fraudulent votes to the defendant, and sign certificates falsely representing that they were legitimate electors, okay? Now, some of these, okay, that, so that's from the indictment. I still don't, I, I'm like, what, did they just round up a bunch of people, or were these the backup electors, I think I heard one person say? I'm not entirely sure, to be honest with you. Now, in order to prove corrupt intent, Smith is writing that he will make the case to the jury that Trump was not delusional, right? He has to he's going to prove or try to prove that Trump knew he had lost the election and his claims were false. Now that's the part that's going to be tough because have you ever heard Donald Trump say anything but that the election was stolen? We haven't. Now did he do it behind closed doors? Nothing in writing. You guys know Trump has never written an email. You know, he doesn't He doesn't like to do that. He doesn't text. He doesn't write emails. He does everything face-to-face. He's done that his whole life. Jack Smith's indictment reads, quote, These claims were false, and the defendant knew they were false. In fact, the defendant was notified repeatedly that his claims were untrue, often by the people on whom he relied for candid advice on important matters and who were best positioned to know the facts, and he deliberately disregarded the truth. Okay, and uh, and we'll get to Mike Pence in a moment. Uh, let's see here. Jack Smith's indictment goes on to read, the defendant's knowingly false statements were integral to his criminal plans to defeat the federal government function, obstruct the certification, and interfere with others' right to vote and have their votes counted. He made these knowingly false claims through the post-election time um, period. I'm, I'm, again, I'm not passing. I'm just trying to get the information out because it's just a lot. Um, it goes on to say in Arizona, you know, the Speaker of the Arizona House at the time was Rusty Bowers. He's a very conservative Republican, but he told Trump, Trump apparently tried to get him to um, subvert the election and he refused. And then for his courage, if you want to, you know, if you're on uh, that side of things, the state Republican Party actually censured him for that. And he was overwhelmingly defeated in a primary election for state Senate. So his career is pretty much over for doing that. Um, let's see, I'm just scrolling down here. And then in Georgia, it goes to each individual state. It goes talks about Georgia and Oh, Coast Co-conspirator 3 is apparently that lawyer Sidney Powell. Remember that nutty chick? And Giuliani is also kind of named here as Co-conspirator 1. That would be uh Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> what happened to that guy? And I want to get through all the states. There's Pennsylvania. There's Wisconsin. Uh, this isn't really hard to read. It's just 45 pages, and I just don't have enough time to go through all of it. Let me see here. Yeah, more on the Justice Department. Okay, here's some stuff about uh, Pence. So... 
The defendant initially attempted to enlist the vice president to fraudulently alter the election results at the January 6th certification proceeding. And the defendant first knowingly used false claims of election fraud to convince the vice president to accept the defendant's fraudulent electors, reject legitimate electoral votes, and send legitimate electoral votes to state legislatures for review rather than count them. So Pence refused to do that. So then after that, the defendant attempted to use a crowd of supporters that had gathered in Washington, D.C. to pressure the vice president to fraudulently alter the election results. Now, Mike Pence apparently took copious notes, and Jack Smith has those notes. Uh, And he basically asked the vice president to reject all those legitimate electors. And see, the thing is, Mike, this was a ceremonial role by Mike Pence. Like, even if he, even if Mike Pence was like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Like, he had, this was all ceremony. Um, There's much more on here, but you guys get the idea. So I I don't, I I would love to go through this whole thing, but it would take me like a friggin' hour to do it, and I just don't want to do it. So I want to get to the rest of the, I want to get to the rest of the story, and I've got a bunch of audio clips that I want to get to. So basically, a lot of Trump's defense is going to be two things. It's going to be, hey, I was just using my free speech to convey my honest belief that the election was stolen and I wanted people to fight for it. And the other part is going to be like my lawyers, who I trusted, I'm not a lawyer, gave me these advice and said all this was constitutional to use these backup electors, false electors, whatever you want to do. That's that's going to be his... Uh, his kind of defense. Now, it's going to be tough because he drew a judge who is very has been very, very tough on the January 6th people. This is Judge Tanya Chutkan. C-H-U-T-K-A-N. I don't watch cable news, guys. I don't know what the proper pronunciation is. Uh, so he, she's going to be the one uh, who will be deciding this. And it's not the first time that Trump's case has appeared before her. Nearly two years ago, the judge rejected Trump's efforts to prevent his White House records from being given to the House Committee investigating his actions leading up to January 6th, right? And she actually wrote at the time, quote, presidents are not kings and the plaintiff is not president, end quote. She's 61 years old. Uh, And it will be in the federal court in Washington. And this is going to be a lot different than that Florida documents cage case with Judge Aileen Cannon. She was appointed by President Barack Obama, and she did donate money to his campaigns. Why? Why is that allowed? By the way, just sidebar: Why a judge, in my opinion, a, a judge should not be allowed to contribute to political campaigns, any kind. Is that really so hard to have that? And let's see here. You know this? Okay, let me get to what Mike Pence says because there's two stories here. Trump and his lawyers are going to say, and they've already said, hey, all we were asking Mike Pence to do was to delay the certification so it could go back to the states so they could investigate these claims of voter fraud. And we we want you just to delay it. We're not saying fucking don't do it. We're just saying, could you slow it down or delay it, right? Now, Pence is saying, no, that's not true. He told me we want to fucking uh, overturn the election. He said, quote, 
he, well, let me say, he said the former president Trump and his advisors had tried to get him, quote, essentially to overturn the election, end quote. I'm going to play a clip from him in a moment. Uh, so it's going to be, um, yeah, in the hours after the indictment, Pence really started talking quite a bit. And Pence, as you guys know, this isn't going to do him any favors, isn't it? Because he's running for president also. And it's it's gonna he has no shot in hell because now in the MAGA people's eyes, he's like, you know, public enemy number one. And the left wing people hate him already because he's like anti abortion and everything. So but you know, you so Mike Pence, you know, he has integrity. He says he's this is what he believes and this is what he says happened, so this is what he's gonna say. Now, part of that indictment detailed an episode where Pence's chief of staff actually alerted the lead Secret Service agent on Pence's detail that he was concerned for the vice president's safety after Trump told Pence he would have to, quote, publicly criticize him, end quote, for refusing to go along with Trump's request. And this was after a meeting on January 5th. And here's what Pence said. Again, I'll play the clip. He said, I was clear with President Trump. It wasn't just that they asked for a pause. The president specifically asked me and his gaggle of crackpot lawyers asked me to literally reject votes. Okay, so let's start with the clips. I just want to start with a kind of funny one because this is what the people are really... Here's a, You know, they had a few people show up at the courthouse, all that stuff. And uh, here's one of his supporters who is uh, defending Trump. Trump right should here. be king of planet Earth. Yeah, planet Earth. Emperor of planet Earth or king of America. I hope when Trump becomes president, he does 10 times what the Democrats did to him. Because he didn't deserve it. Democrat party uh, propaganda. So it's, it's been almost three years after the, after the 2020 election. Yeah. Um, is there any actual evidence that hundreds of thousands of uh, votes were, were illegal? You're, so yeah, you're asking, we already know the answer, yes. There's evidence that there were fraudulent votes. There's evidence that there was ballot harvesting. There was, there's, there's evidence that there were ballots that were stuffed into the ballot box. There's evidence that dead people voted. There's evidence. But we never got to go to the state level to the charges to actually review all these irregularities that happened in the election. But we know the election was stolen, but the Democrats are happy with what they have because they get their free food stamps. Or okay, so yeah, and that's what his debate, they're like, oh no, we just wanted to go to the states. Because remember, he went to federal court. What was it? He was 0 for 60 in federal court. And nothing was ever proven. So a uh, few more audio clips here. Let's uh, play. Let me do a few ones here. Uh, let's play Lara Trump. And here... Here he, she is talking about his mindset, right? How he always believed it was stolen. So let me hear this. For them. And an election which, by the way, let me just clear it up for anybody that has any questions out there. Donald Trump believed on November 3rd of 2020 he won that election. He has believed every day since that he won that election. He still continues to believe that. So anyone trying to say otherwise maybe wants to take note of that. All right. So, yeah, that's what she's and that's what he's going to say. What's this one? Oh, here's uh, the here's the Pence interview on Fox News. The quote I just read. Let's listen. That. Throughout, I was clear with President Trump throughout all the way up to the morning uh, of January 6. But let, let's let's be clear on this point. It wasn't just that they asked for a pause. Uh, the president uh, specifically asked me, and his gaggle of uh, of crackpot lawyers asked me 
to literally reject votes, to, which would have resulted in, uh, in the issue being turned over to the House of Representatives and literally chaos would have ensued. So, oh, Martha, I just, uh, people, people can read the indictment. And frankly, I, I, I've said before, I, I had hoped it had not come to this point. You know, I, I don't know if the government can meet the standard, the burden of proof beyond reasonable doubt uh, for criminal charges. But the American people deserve to know uh, that President Trump uh, and his advisors uh, didn't just ask me to pause. They asked me to reject votes, return votes, essentially to overturn the election uh, and to keep faith with the oath that I made to the American people and to Almighty God. Uh, I rejected that out of hand and I did my duty that day. Okay, so you heard him, and you know the thing is, uh, so they're gonna, it's gonna be a he said, she said, right? But you know the the thing is, Pence, people are gonna forget all the times from 2016 to 2020. He stood by Trump, and Trump is a shithead this way. Trump throws people under the bus, and Pence had his back. I'll say this about Pence: I'm not taking a side here, but just objectively speaking, you cannot deny that Pence fucking supported Trump the entire four years while Trump was flailing around and fighting with the press, and they're always running to Mike Pence. Mike Pence, you're a professional politician. Aren't you offended by this? And he would always stick up for Trump. So, uh, let's see here. Let's go to his hot attorney, <laughs> Alina Haba. Did you guys say? Boy, this was going around social media. She was in quite the risque purple dress um, showing her ample cleavage uh causing quite the stir on twitter for sure but she held a press conference outside and uh let's hear a little bit of, of this uh, there's testimony and there's a number of aides that have said that the president was made aware that he lost the election and yet continued to uh, argue that it, that it was stolen from him how, how do you reconcile those two things well i think that everybody was made aware that he lost the election but that doesn't mean that that was the only advice he was given as anybody understands what happens in the Oval Office, there are a numerous amount of advisors and politicians and lawyers, not just one or two, that are giving you advice and telling you what they believe is true. So he may not agree with Mike Pence, he may not agree with one of his lawyers, but that doesn't mean that there weren't other people advising him exactly the opposite. And the president has a right, as every one of us do, to listen to several opinions and make their decision. All right, so yeah, there's the uh, hottie. Boy, Trump can pick him. I, I doubt he probably just checked out a headshot from her um a couple more of course the uh left wingers were uh, going crazy on cable news let's start with a disgraced former cia head john brennan remember he notably perjured himself in front of congress but uh, let's see he was on msnbc the, the gravity of the damage that has been done how do you envision this ending, this, this saga of this national security lapse, if you will, because of Donald Trump? I mean, Jack Smith waited to add this charge, even though he's had uh, this Iran document. We've known about it. And, you know, this could significantly add to Trump's criminal exposure. But how do you envision uh, this particular um, uh, situation ending? What I find most horrifying is Donald Trump is the leading Republican candidate for president. Mm. And it is clear mm. that anybody mm. who did this could not have achieved any type of security clearance. But he has the potential to be back in the White House in the Oval Office with access to the most sensitive secrets and the most sensitive national security information that our country has. And so I know that our intelligence community, our law enforcement community, and others are doing their best to try to understand, again, the extent of the damage that has been done. But what I worry about 
out is that somebody as reckless, as careless, as irresponsible as Donald Trump continues to lead the Republican pack in terms of the presidential election. That, to me, is what is most concerning, most worrisome about our country's national security in the future. Yeah, so, the, the, you know, I will grudgingly admit, it, there, there, is, there is a cult of Trump. You know, there are people that no matter what, you can say all this stuff. I could, you know, what the obstruction and the classified documents case I alluded to earlier, they just don't believe anything or they choose not to. It's like cognitive dissonance. I don't know how to get through to that. And it just is crazy. Like he could potentially win the presidency. He's tied right now, neck and neck with Joe Biden. And he was trailing in the polls when he almost beat Joe Biden. So there's going to be a lot of people or they think this is part of the deep state coup to keep Trump down. And I keep trying to tell them, like, dude, this a lot of 99% of this is self-inflicted because he's a big, dumb idiot in many ways. And he thinks he's above everything. He always was as a businessman and he was the alpha male and nobody's going to tell me what to do and I can do whatever you, I want. Well, you can't always do whatever you want, which is why he's being facing 70 plus felonies. Um, this one was funny. Remember the, the 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 Capitol Hill police officers? Well, one of them was named Michael Fanone, and he now goes on CNN all the time and, and hates Trump and everything. Here he is uh, con- comparing this uh, Trump saga to Osama bin Laden in 9-11. When I first learned about the indictment, um, I had a long conversation with a friend of mine, Ryan Riley, and uh, I told him how proud I felt uh, to be an American at that moment. Uh, much in the way that I did uh, when I learned that uh, our military had killed Osama bin Laden. Um, I just felt incredibly proud. These two um, seem comparable to Incredibly proud you? to have been... Uh, I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but the, why, why, are that, why that comparison <clears throat> in particular? <laughs> Even the CNN host. I believe they're comparable. In what way? Absolutely. Not good on TV. Uh, Osama bin Laden was a terrorist who committed a horrific act against American people uh, and against our republic. And I believe that Donald Trump is a terrorist who committed horrific acts against the American people. (laughs) Okay. All right, buddy. Uh, Yeah, that's why he keeps getting invited to go on TV, because he knows he has to say shit like that. Uh, and then here's an MSNBC historian, and he start he decided to compare January 6th to the Civil War in Pearl Harbor. Let's listen a little bit to this one. I tell you, I mean, <laughs> this is Joe Scarborough. You, you, I saw your thread. <laughs> is that what we call them? I saw your thread last night. <laughs> I guess. When you said, "Remember this night?" Yeah. And and yeah, I, yeah. I, I went back through my lifetime, and you know, back when we were much much younger, I remember. For me, on August the 9th, 1974, my grandmom was driving me through Elmira Heights when the news broke on the radio mm. that Richard Nixon had resigned. No. And that was one of those moments that stuck with me. Um, I really thought he was going to talk about the dead chick night, they found in his office. Uh, what you said last night, I, I, su- I, I suspect we all will be looking back on last night uh, as, oh, as attorney. Joe, point, get to the and, point. Uh, this horrible chapter of American history. Totally agree. And I think one thing we'll remember is how last night and the 12 hours since uh, Jack Smith delivered that indictment with the help of a courageous grand jury, you know, how does this fit into the larger 
American story. I think the last 12 hours fit perfectly into the American story. And that is this. From time to time, America faces threats from monsters who want to destroy our democracy. That happened in 1861 with the Confederacy. Abraham Lincoln and, you know, northern soldiers and northern voters came to our rescue, saved the Union. The same thing happened in 1933. Almost at the last minute, Franklin Roosevelt came to power, saved our economic system. Pearl Harbor, 1941, we were bombed. Our system was very much in danger. Our democracy, many people were giving it up and saying that, you know, the, the democracy had seen its last days. Franklin Roosevelt helped to put a coalition together at the last minute to save democracy and freedom around the world. 9-11, okay. 2001, All right. Osama bin Laden and other terrorists. Yes, okay, you get the idea. I mean, But but that's the thing. If, if Trump gets reelected and it's a free and fair election, is that not democracy? Uh, yeah, uh, let's see. And then... Finally, I wanted to. One of you guys asked me to play some. You want to hear some audio of the uh, presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, and I have some of him, but I just don't have time to get to it. So I'll I'll get to him another time. I promise. Let's finish though with Trump. He made a couple statements. Here he is outside the courthouse after the arraignment. Let's uh, listen to this one first. also very sad driving through Washington, D.C. and seeing the filth and the decay <laughs> and all of the broken buildings and walls and the graffiti. This is not the place that I left. It's a very sad thing to see it. Uh, when you look at what's happening, this is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. This is the persecution of the person that's leading by very, very substantial numbers in the Republican primary and leading Biden by a lot. So if you can't beat him, you persecute him or you prosecute him. We can't let this happen in America. Thank you very much. Okay. So, and then he, uh, and I have one more clip of Trump. Here's a, uh, this was a taped in his office or something. And this was responding to the indictment charges stemming from Smith's investigation. So let's hear very dark place right now but even after everything the deep state has done to me i will never give up on america mark my words in 2024 we will win back the white house we will make america great again i have no doubt about it they come at me from left they come at me from right the rhinos the communists the marxists the fascists we will not only survive we will be stronger than ever before. We're fighting a fight like nobody ever thought possible, and we're winning. We won in 2016. We had a rigged election in 2020, but got more votes than any sitting president. We're going to win like never before, and we're going to make America great again. I can truly say I believe better than ever before. Thank you for all of your support. And for all of your prayers. All right. There he is. It's, I don't know, man. I don't know. Is, do I have anything else I want to um, play? Uh, just quickly, if you're wondering what uh, Ron DeSantis said, he has dismissed Trump's 2020 election theories. He's kind of hedged on that for a bit. But after the indictment, he has finally kind of uh, went further than he has before. And he came out and said, yeah, 
quote, all those theories that were put out did not prove to be true, end quote. And that came a day after Trump's arraignment. So that makes him a public enemy number two with the MAGA people. Okay, so that's what I have for you on the Trump indictment. And, and I'll stand by what what am I prediction for? What I think I think he's going to be convicted. And I think it, and if he's convicted, I don't see how he does not go to jail. Unless and then but of course, if he his only chance is to win the presidency. And then I guess he could pardon himself. Yeah. I don't even know the constitutionality of that. Like can a president pardon himself if he's after he's been convicted on on, on felony charges? I just can't see him. There's no way he runs the table and escapes all 70-something felony charges. And remember, we still have the Georgia cases going ahead. And in New York, the attorney general there is, she wants, she's ready to go to trial on this, the financial case against the Trump organization. This is just so tiring. Aren't you guys sick of this? Like, again, I'll come out and say it. I've, I voted for Trump twice. And I can easily say if it, if I was allowed to vote in a primary, which I'm not because I'm registered independent, I would pick Ron DeSantis instantly. You might not like him. He's not exactly the most, uh, you know, personable guy out there. His campaign has kind of flailed because next to Trump, he's in Trump's shadow, right? But he quietly got shit done. He's getting things done through legislation, signing bills like you want a fucking executive to do. And he's doing all that. Whereas Trump is busy fucking fighting with the media and trying to stay out of prison. So for me, it was, it's an easy choice. And plus, Trump is like old. He's almost 80. We need, some, we need some young blood in there. Yeah, DeSantis is not the fucking hilarious quote machine that Trump is. Not a, no doubt about it. And then he's kind of a goofball, but at the end of the day, he does all the things you conservatives like, and yet everybody's like ripping on him all the time. I don't understand it. And you avoid all this fucking headache. He doesn't have lawsuits hanging over his head he doesn't have the possibility of going to prison and uh yeah and like, and like i said before i think the i think it's a little bit of a reach some of these charges in dc but if they can prove this fake elector scheme that is a scheme that is a conspiracy so it's again this is not about him being responsible for the actual riot Remember that, because initially that's what I thought they were indicting him for. It's not about that. They didn't even try to indict him on that. It's about the conspiracy, like the Florida case is about obstruction. So, I just don't see it. I know a lot of you like Trump. I th hey, I think Trump's hilarious and all that, I just, but I don't want him as president anymore, because he's a pain in the ass, and he's a, he just doesn't want it. He just wants to fucking make it. He wants the ratings. Remember when he was president? He's always like, oh, we got the most tremendous ratings. It's like, dude, you're not in a game show. Anymore. You're not a TV host anymore. So that's just my opinion. I know a lot of you disagree with me, and that's fine. But uh, because I'm always right, I will be proven to be once again always right once he does get convicted of something. So there you go. Can we move on now, please? Yes, let's go. Okay. <laughs> Shit, that was a lot. I, I skipped over a bunch of stuff, too. Okay, uh, let me he see here. Uh, well, let's go to this guy. Do you remember the College Park mayor, College Park, Maryland, who was uh, caught with child porn? Yes, that would be the former mayor, Patrick Wojan, 47 years old. He was arrested last March. He pleaded guilty in Prince George's County to 60 counts of distribution of the sexual abuse imagery, child sexual abuse imagery, 40 counts of possession and 40 counts of possession with intent to distribute. He will agree to serve 
30 years of a 150-year prison sentence. God, that must have been some gnarly shit that he had. Wow. He will become eligible for parole after seven and a half years? What? How stupid is our system? There's no way they're going to let him out on parole in seven and a half years. Yeah, dude. He had been mayor of College Park, Maryland since 2015 and had served for eight years on the city council before them. This was a, a huge shock, dude. Of course, he was uh, quite progressive, of course. Yeah, he issued a formal apology from the city in 2020 for their history of oppression in an African neighbor, African-American neighborhood. Oh, that's precious. Meanwhile, he's fucking jacking off to kid diddling. Nice fucking scumbag. A Marine drill instructor has been acquitted in a recruit death. Yes. Military jury has found that a Marine Corps DI was not guilty of negligent homicide in the death of a 19-year-old recruit during a training exercise on Paris Island, South Carolina in 2021. The drill instructor is Staff Sergeant Stephen Smiley. The death of the recruits was a PFC Dalton Beals. And Dalton Beals sadly passed away. On June 4th, 2021, several hours of deliberations, a jury of eight Marines found that Sergeant Smiley was not guilty of charges of negligent homicide, cruelty, oppression, or maltreatment of subordinates, obstruction of justice, or anything else except one thing. Jurors found that Smiley was guilty of one charge, violation of a general order that forbids drill instructors from calling recruits names. Are you serious? Sergeant Smiley had referred to recruits as pigs, war pigs, and sweet bacon during training. So, are you fucking kidding me? Wow. He was sentenced to a reduction of rank, downgrading him from staff sergeant to sergeant. So he lost a stripe. He's 35 years old. He's planning on leaving the military and becoming a firefighter in Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, this was uh, Private Beals died of hyperthermia, high body temperature during the crucible. That's the Marine Corps' 54-hour training exercise that includes a f- series of physical endurance tests during which sleep and food are restricted. It's considered a rite of passage into the core. Beals was found unconscious on the second day of the crucible uh, about 90 minutes after completing an event in extreme black flag conditions when it goes to 90 degrees or above. Uh, so they were basically blaming Smiley for failing to take into account the extreme weather. And, um, the other recruits said Smiley was a demanding drill instructor. It was more comfortable with being a warrior than a mentor. Well, you know, you might not like that's the, this is how you got to build hard men, dude. And, and uh, tragically, when you build hard men, very occasionally something goes bad and people die. It happens in the Marines, happens in the Navy SEALs, happens in Air Force Pararescue. It's happened in Rangers. It's happened on all of them. People die. It's very sad. It happens. So I feel bad for the family, uh, but he was found not guilty on almost everything. Uh, now, a guy who was found guilty, you remember the viral video of that Colorado police officer who left the police car with the handcuffed woman sitting on the trail uh, the railroad tracks? Yeah, well, that police officer, Jordan Steinke, um, has been found guilty of two misdemeanors. 
The 21-year-old Yereni Rios Gonzalez was struck by the train while in the police car. She had been stopped by the police after a road rage incident involving a handgun. And a Platteville Police Department officer parked his patrol vehicle on the railroad tracks after he pulled her over. Stupid. Um, let's see here. They place her in a patrol car. Officers are ser- shown searching her car. Then you hear the train horn starts to sound. And then the car is struck. Apparently she did not die. Rios Gonzalez. She suffered severe head trauma and serious bodily injury. Gosh, lucky, dude. We're, it's unclear. Oh, Steinke is a, is a female. Yeah, Jordan. Jordan Steinke. That's the Fort Lupton police officer. Now, um, Fort Lupton was assisted by the Platteville Police Department. So there was like multiple agencies there. But she has a lawyer for her, the police officer, declined comment. And she was found not guilty of reckless attempt, attempted manslaughter because prosecutors failed to prove she acted knowingly. So, hmm. now there's a civil suit against the city. She'll probably, the victim will probably get a big check. Okay, let's see here. Let's go on to a um, couple business stories here. First of all, the U.S. credit rating has been downgraded by a ratings agency. That's great. The ratings agency Fitch, it lowered the U.S. long-term credit rating due to the debt limit standoffs eroding confidence in the nation's fiscal management. So Fitch lowered the U.S. long-term rating to AA+. I'm sorry. This is written weirdly. We had the top rating of AAA, and now it has been lowered to AA+. Okay, so like down one thing. <laughs> this is the second downgrade in America's history. And uh, Fitch said in a statement, in addition to the repeated debt limit political standoffs, the government lacks a medium-term fiscal framework, unlike most of their peers, and has a complex budgeting process. Fitch is one of three major credit rating firms, along with Moody's and S&P Global Ratings. Um, yeah, so this could limit the numbers of investors able to buy U.S. government debt and other uh, esoteric fucking financial stuff, but it's seen as notable, so I thought I'd mention it. And meanwhile, a country's currency that is doing well is uh, Mexico. They've got a strong peso. As a matter of fact, it's doing so well that it's actually a new worry for Mexicans in the United States because, uh, as you guys know, remittances or the money that Mexican immigrants send back to Mexico is a huge chunk of Mexico's economy. And the peso's soaring value means that the money that the Mexicans in the United States send home does not go as far as it used to. Uh, So... The Mexican peso has appreciated quite a bit in the last year. It's a product of high interest rates and foreign investments in Mexico. Uh, Mexico is the second biggest receiver of remittances behind India. Yeah, here's a stat. In 2022, those working abroad, mostly in the United States, sent more than $61 billion to Mexico. Woof. Yeah. The value of the peso has climbed about 20% against the dollar since last fall, and it's now about the strongest it has been in about seven years. 
uh, right now, or at least within the last day or two, a dollar currently exchanges to about 16.7 pesos. In 2019, a dollar exchanged for about 20 pesos. So it's worth more. All right. And then one more uh, notable financial story. The trucking firm um, Yellow, Yellow Trucking, it's shutting down, and that's raising eyebrows because they got a $700 million pandemic loan. And now they're winding down operations because they're expected to file bankruptcy. The closure of the company would mean a loss of about 30,000 jobs. Not great. And yeah, this company, this yellow trucking company, was deemed so critical to America's supply chains that they got this federal bailout. Uh, It's called a loan. They got $700 million. But I don't think they were ever expected to really pay it back. But they are shutting down. They have shut down their regular operations as of July 28th, 2023. Uh, Yellow had also been in protracted labor negotiations with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the union, over a new contract. At the end of March, Yellow's outstanding debt was $1.5 billion, including that $730 million that's owed to the federal government. Yellow has paid approximately $66 million in interest on that loan, but it has repaid just $230 of the principal owed on the loan. Well, that's not great. Yeah, dude. They have 325,000 U.S. workers. So the, what's going to happen to it, their assets, because they've got all the trucks and everything, they're, it's not clear. But um, not great news for our supply chain. Okay. Let's see here. Let's do a space story. Did you hear about Voyager 2 from NASA? That's the uh, explorer of our solar system. Well, we lost contact with it for a while. Last Friday, scientists at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory announced that they had lost contact with the Voyager 2, which is over 12 billion miles from Earth, and it was human error. Engineers on the ground sent an incorrect command to the spacecraft on July 21st that knocked its antenna two degrees away from the Earth. That made it impossible for the mission team to send or receive signals. But luckily, somehow, on Tuesday morning, officials from the Deep Space Network, a global system used to operate numerous active space missions, detected a carrier signal from Voyager 2. That means the spacecraft is still broadcasting but the signal is too weak for transmitting data. So it's, it's unclear right now if we're going to be able to communicate it. Um, for, and, and it won't be, we might not be able to, if at all, for at least a couple of months. If you guys don't know, Voyager 2 launched on August 20th, 1977. And it was to take a tour of the solar system's outer planets. I don't remember the name of the documentary, but you guys should watch a documentary on this. It's abs- It's completely fascinating. This is the only spacecraft to have visited Uranus. I'm sorry, Uranus. <laughs> Not your anus. That's what all the scientists are trying to do. I don't know if you guys know that. They're, if you watch like, you know, space stuff, you'll, you'll hear ast- uh, astronomers say stuff like, oh, yes, the planet of Uranus. I'm like, stop, dude. We all know it's your anus. Stop trying. It's not going to work. But yeah, it's uh, the only one to have visited Uranus and Neptune. And uh, it's, the, um, it's the second mission to cross the boundary that separates our solar system from the rest of the Milky Way, an area commonly referred to as interstellar space. Look at that. So cool. 
Yeah, now it's twin. Uh, Voyager 1 made the crossing in 2012. So pretty cool. Is Voyager 1 still around? I don't remember. Can't say off the top of my head. So it's it's luckily this isn't the first time NASA has lost the ability to talk to the spacecraft. In 2020, scientists managing the Deep Space Network shut down the radio dish capable of talking to Voyager 2 for repair and upgrades. And uh, it came back online in March of 2021, and then the Voyager 2 was still functioning. So uh, we, we here we go. We still are in contact with Voyager 1 as well. It's so cool, man. Yeah, try not to fucking send bad commands. I don't know. What else I got for you? All right. Uh, let's do... Well, Pee Wee Herman died. You guys all saw that. Named, uh, named Paul Rubens. Guys all know him, you older people from Pee-wee's Playhouse, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, the movie, all that shit. Uh, He was 70 years old, and he died from a secret battle with cancer. I didn't watch a lot of I didn't watch a lot of TV growing up, so I didn't. I was aware of Pee-wee Herman. I occasionally watched Pee-wee's Playhouse, but uh, didn't really know him a lot. He really came to my attention though during his uh, sex scandal. You guys remember that? He was arrested in Sarasota, Florida in 1991 at the Adult Movie Theater, of all things. Do they still have those adult movie theaters? Yeah, he was jacking it in the adult movie theater. And he was detained by a detective after leaving the theater. Just leave him alone. What do you think guys are going to do in there? Yeah, they're finishing. They should have, like, you know, finishing tubes. You know, helpful finishing. Do you guys remember you guys Afghanistan veterans? Iraq veterans, you remember the piss tubes on base? If you guys don't know, basically on some bases, especially the you know the forward operating ones, the ones that are kind of out there in the in the boonies, there's not a lot of plumbing, obviously. So, but you, but you can't have dudes just pissing anywhere because then the whole place would reek. So they would stick PVC pipes deep into the ground, and you'd go up and uh, piss through the tube. We call them the piss tube, and uh, they still stank, but the area was confined a little bit. Uh, I don't know. If you're asking what the women did, I think they just pissed wherever they wanted. I'm not sure. I mean, there were porta potties, but anyway, you get the idea. But Paul Rubens, 70 years old, jacked in the movie theater. Finished. Undoubtedly finished. Let's go to Singapore. Singapore has hanged their first woman woman in 19 years after she was convicted of trafficking 31 grams of heroin. Yeah. Yep, there's another execution planned next week. I remember I talked about that other that dude who was killed uh, earlier. He was also sentenced to death for drug trafficking. And this chick was 45 years old, Saradawi Dejamani, sentenced to death in 2018 for trafficking about one ounce or 31 grams of pure heroin. The Central Narcotics Bureau said that was enough to sufficiently feed the addiction of about 370 abusers for a week. Singapore's laws mandate the death penalty for anyone convicted of trafficking more than 500 grams of cannabis and 15 grams of heroin. So her execution came two days after that of a Singaporean man named Mohammed Aziz Hussein, 56 years old. He was trafficking about... 50 grams of heroin. Dad, dude, what are you thinking? (laughs) A human rights group says Singapore has executed 15 people for drug offenses since they resumed hangings in March of 2022. 
the last woman known to have been hanged in Singapore was a 36-year-old hairdresser, also for drug trafficking, in 2004. Yeah, there you go. Well, fucking probably shouldn't traffic drugs in Singapore. They don't fuck around. And plus hanging, you know, there's none of this handering over like, oh, they, they couldn't find a vein for the lethal injection. Hanging, you don't need any of that. Just pull the fucking trap door. Done. It works every time, too. What about California? A lot of you guys have sent me this story, and I've been following it. This illegal warehouse in California that was the Chinese-run virus laboratory. This is a nutty story. And you know what's crazy about this? There's there's like two outlets covering this story. The Daily Mail and like the California Globe, I think it is. Like an independent blog. LA Times, Sacramento Bee, San Francisco Chronicle. Nowhere to be found. But yes, it is real. And the way they were caught was funny. This is this warehouse, it just looked like a regular warehouse. Well, it turned out to be an illegal lab, and it had all kinds of deadly pathogens, including the coronavirus, HIV, and malaria. City officials never would have known about this, but for a building inspector who saw a hose sticking out of the back warehouse, and he decided to start saying, well, where does this hose go? And start knocking on doors. Well... It turns out that this was a shady biotech company with links to the Chinese communist government. And they had set up shop there and they filled it with industrial freezers. They had hundreds of vials of viruses and about a thousand dead and dying lab mice. Uh, Apparently they were trying to manufacture also COVID tests and pregnancy tests. It's very bizarre. The lab was run under a country called company called prestige biotech unlicensed for business in California, by the way. And the president is Xi Quin Yao. Um, so Yao said this company was a successor to the now defunct company Universal Meditech Inc. However, officials dispatched to addresses linked to the companies turned up at empty office buildings or addresses in China that could not be verified. Wow. This has been going on. This investigation has been going on for a while. It just came out in the media. This actually started happening in like back in July, June and July. So there's no immediate danger, but they had to like do like a full decontamination on this. There's all kinds of shitty, gross, improper waste disposal, dangerous bacteria, viruses. And this is in Reedley, California, small little town. That's funny, this code inspector, he was just driving down the street and he notices a garden hose sticking out of a building where it should not have been. That's that's how they got busted. And there's all kinds of pictures in here. Gross, dude. Yeah, they had blood in there in the freezers. Um, Yeah, this is what they do, man. This is what the Chinese communists do. There's, There's probably illegal labs like this all over the United States. I would not be surprised at all. Uh, another military story. Yeah, you know, I tell you, get this headline: Two U.S. soldiers are facing three years in jail and an eleven thousand dollar fine after they admitted spray painting graffiti on a fifteenth century Italian monument. You believe these fucking jerks? They don't name them; they just name them as A.J. Jr. and B.M.E. Twenty-nine and twenty-three years old, respectively. They spray-painted graffiti on the UNESCO heritage site-listed Palladian Basilica in Vicenza. Uh, And you guys know this is just the latest case of an Italian monument being defaced by foreigners. 
fucking morons. Can we see what graffiti they wrote? These guys were, they're American soldiers. They were reportedly stationed at the Del Din U.S. military base, formerly known, formerly known as Caserma Aderle, which means Camp Aderle in English. And both the guys admitted to graffitiing the building. It looks like they just, I see a small picture, but it's from the side. It just looks like goofy-ass graffiti. Let me see if the, let me, I'm trying to scroll. Oh, here we go. Yeah, it's just the, the number 2-4 is on there. And just like gibberish. I can't tell if this is like letters or if it's like a cartoon figure. Hard to say. Yeah, they confessed right away. Goofy, goofy dudes. You guys remember, because this comes on the heels of that uh, British guy. And he was carving his girlfriend's name in the fucking Coliseum. Remember that? Yeah, stupid. All right. What else? This is a sad story. This young kid, a rising star in the bicycling world, he was hit by a car while training near his home in Boulder, Colorado, and died. Very, very sad. U.S. junior men's national team cyclist Magnus White was killed at the age of 17. He was hit by a car driven by a woman who was only 23. And uh, it was the middle of the day, 12.30 p.m., dude. She hit him from behind. Colorado State Police said speed and alcohol were not factors in the crash. And it's uh, a bummer. Because, you know, I see these all the time, and I have a very good friend who's into, you know, road biking, and they, they won't even do it anymore because of this. Because so many people die from this shit. Um, let's do this one. Did you, there was a stabbing in Santa Monica. You guys all know Santa Monica, California, right? The pier, very famous. It's like the, when you think of like LA, you think of it. Well, it's also home to many, many vagrants, right? So two vagrants decided to get into it outside the fucking bathroom on right on the boardwalk, right? So you're right on the beach you want to take your little, you want to take your young son to the male bathroom, and you got to like walk through two vagrants stabbing each other with knives. You believe this shit? Oh, and by the way, reports are that one of these vagrants was um, an illegal immigrant as well. Middle of the day, two o seven p.m. Monday, July twenty first. Uh, the twenty seven year old man was the victim. He ultimately died of his injuries. And they heard some kind of argument break out between the victims. And one of the witnesses saw a suspect stab the victim several times in the torso and chest. The uh, the suspect, also a vagrant, is 48, named Juan Evarastico Bajena. He was arrested for murder and booked in the Santa Monica jail. This right on the beach, dude. This is what you tolerate, dude. I don't know why we tolerate this. And this is why I keep telling you guys, you don't know what... This is why you never engage with a vagrant. I see chicks doing it all the time. A vagrant will like call out to them or something while they're walking by and they feel they need to like smile and sort of respond. And I'm like, don't fucking look at them. Do not talk to them. Cross the street if you can. You don't know. And I know many of my law enforcement listeners will tell you, you don't know what they're capable of. With I, I operate on the assumption that any one of these guys could just jump up and stab me in the eyeball. And I behave myself accordingly. Like I'm always on the, just ready. You have to be, I've done too many of these stories. 
It's crazy, dude. All right, let's go. Keep going here. How much time do I have? Okay, I still got time here. Uh, let's do Hunter Biden. <laughs> Hunter Biden. I know this guy kind of drowned out. And yes, uh, many people are saying, how come every time there's bad news about Joe Biden, uh, Trump gets indicted and that washes it all away? And that's true. So anyway, if you haven't been following it, uh, Dev- there's this guy named Devon Archer. He's Hunter Biden's ex-best friend. He went on Tucker Carlson's uh, Twitter show because Tucker isn't on Fox News anymore. And he did this long interview with Tucker and he was naming names. Um, But he revealed a lot of details about his personal and business relationship with Hunter Biden, did Devin Archer. And he also spilled a lot of beans about Hunter Biden and business stuff. And, you know, the laptop and all this stuff like that. So this is one day after Archer testified behind closed doors to the House Oversight Committee, and he told Tucker Carlson the Biden brand, of course, was absolutely a key component of Hunter's work on the Burisma board. That's the company in Ukraine. You guys all know that one. Archer confirmed that he had met the now President Biden probably 20 times and confirmed that Joe Biden had interacted with Hunter's business partners around 20 times over the 10 years he was close with the family. Of course he did. Why else would you give Hunter Biden millions of dollars? Everybody knows this by now. As a matter of fact, get this. Hunter got a Porsche, the car, after bringing Joe Biden to dinner with a Kazakh oligarch. That was according to Devon Archer's full testimony. Yeah, Archer told the House Oversight Committee that Hunter got 142,000 Porsche days after Joe sat down for dinner with his business associates at Cafe Milano in D.C. And he went on to say he ended up getting tons and tons of money out of all this. He said that Hunter would put Joe on speakerphone 20 times during business meetings over the 10-year period to signal value. Duh. (laughs) That dinner accordingly uh, apparently happened in 2014. So... Joe joined Hunter and a handful of his business partners partners, for dinner at the Cafe Milano, right? Archer confirmed that Joe was present, Joe Biden, long enough to eat dinner with the group. Following the dinner, $3.5 million was wired from Russian billionaire Yelena Batarina into Rosemont Seneca Thornton on February 14th. Um, that was you know, one of his like front accounts, right? I know this is a little boring and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but just uh, there's there's a few clips I wanted to play because again, this is closed business. So let's start with Devin Archer on Tucker and I'll play some more. There's stuff. no corruption here at all. This is totally normal. Joe Biden had no role whatsoever in uh, in his son's business or knowledge of it. But right. How would, I mean, that seems false. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, that that's, that's categorically false. I think that, what what the he was aware of hunter's business he met with hunter's business partners he i mean you found a letter that that illustrates that he knew me and I he's thanking you <laughs> he's thanking you for so, his efforts so i think that was for, yeah i think your efforts yeah <laughs> yeah i think that uh that's a um you know that's that's not factually right okay so uh yeah so he's saying and there is a letter it was floating around on social media um Here's another quick clip from Tucker again about the phone calls. So and how number. many, um, it's been reported and you have said that there were occasions when uh, Joe Biden would call in with clients present on a speakerphone. Right. 
How, how many times do you think that happened? I mean, over a 10-year partnership, I would, um, you know, the number I'm going with is 20. That's probably the, the, the amount that I so kind of record. Yeah, a lot. Okay, and then uh, the, the you know, Democrats are coming out saying, oh, no, that was just to say hi. <laughs> yeah, right. And here is the response. So one of the people on the House Oversight Committee is this Democratic representative, Dan Goldman. I think he's the heir to the Levi's jeans fortune. I think that's the same guy. So here's here he is responding to that. And I want to be very clear about one thing. Uh, he did describe that there were a, a, approximately 20 occasions over the course of their uh, nearly decade-long business relationship where when one of them called the other, um, that Hunter Biden would uh, ask his father to say hello to whomever he was at dinner. He said there were sometimes when it was friends and sometimes when it was uh, potential business partners or business partners. But the witness was unequivocal and stated very clearly that they never discussed any business on that phone conversations. There were niceties and there was a hello and there we talked about the weather or whatever right. it was, but it was never any business. Of course it wasn't. You don't need to talk about business. You just need to say like, yeah, this is Joe Biden. Now here's my son, Hunter. I'm sure you have things to discuss. The message is sent right there. Uh, here's a little flashback. Remember, here's a series of uh, Joe Biden explaining he's never talked to his son ever about his work. First Anything. Of all, I, I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. How many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. Do you stand by your statement that you did not discuss any of your son's overseas business dealings? Yes, I stand by that statement. No, I don't discuss business with my son. I never discussed a single thing with my son about anything having to do with Ukraine. No one has indicated I have. We've always kept everything separate. And I've never discussed what my son's business with him because I didn't want any conflict. I don't know what he was doing. I know he was on the board. I found out he was on the board after he was on the board. And that was it. Right. My son's business dealings were not anything with everybody that he's talking about, not even remotely, number one. Nothing to do with me. Okay, so that there, there there he is. He's unequivocal, right? Nope, never ever ever talked to my son about his business dealings. Uh, yeah. I mean, come on. Who believes that? Uh, and now, see, the goalposts have moved because before it was like everybody was saying, "No, Joe, you heard Joe Biden. He's never had any discussions with Hunter about his business." But the goalposts have now moved where they're like. Hey, what's wrong with him saying hi to his friend's business, his son's business partners? So you see the subtle shift. Here's a little uh, montage from the media, um, and they're basically saying, "No, this is just Joe Biden being a great dad Joe to his crackhead nothing, son." Nothing, not even approximating improper, much less wrong or illegal. It's wishful thinking. They're trying to create yeah. a scandal. They get pretty clear, at least so far, there is nothing there. House Republicans continue their search for any proof at all tying President Joe Biden to his son Hunter's business dealings. Joe Biden had nothing to do with Hunter Biden's business dealings. Because they want to, they want to dirty up Biden's name. You know, Republicans have been trying to use Hunter Biden's behavior against the president. Did not know about anything that Hunter Biden was doing. Seeing that Biden was, was simply involved in his son's life in a personal capacity. Republicans from Consistently trying to make this argument uh, and create the illusion of, of some um, malfeasance being there. Spoke to 
business associates of Hunter Biden to say hello, to have small talk, casual conversation. Hunter Biden talked to his dad on the phone all the time. They talked basically every day. Sometimes Joe Biden would say hello to the people in the room if he popped in or on the phone or whatever. It's all casual conversation, niceties, the weather. They never discussed business. These were more of just cordial hello types of conversations. Business was never discussed on those calls, and that was more casual sort of check-ins, casual yeah, conversations. Casual. Uh, this goes on for like another 10 minutes, so I'm just going to stop it there. Yeah, just casual. Yeah, this is Joe Biden. 10% for the big guy. <laughs> uh, I love Hunter. I really do. Oh, and did you see, just to finish that up, did you see uh, the Daily Mail had an exclusive? Hunter Biden trashed his $4.2 million Venice Beach rental house. They left the property in disarray and disrepair. And on top of that, they stiffed the owner for $80,000 in unpaid rent. They moved into this in Venice Beach in 2021. They moved out. They owe a shitload of money. And they left the house in shitty condition. This guy, once a crackhead, always a crackhead, man. And why is this owner like going after him? The uh, it's owned by the CEO of uh, Sweet Green. Have you heard of that? I guess it's some kind of healthy food chain. I've never been there. Uh, guy's name is Jonathan Naiman, and uh, the source that the Daily Mail had said that Naiman decided not to take Hunter to court for the eighty thousand. That's a fucking lot of money, dude. Even for a multimillionaire, eighty thousand is like not nothing. So. I should sue him. Boy, Hunter's just fucking trash. But again, how can you hate the guy, honestly? Okay, let's see here. Let's keep going. I don't really have a lot of great audio clips today. It's all politics stuff. But I did want to play this one. This was on board a plane. I'm just going to say that first, and then I, and now I will play the clip. So, so everybody's, this is on board a plane. Everybody's seated. And then this guy stands up. Excuse me, everybody. Before we get off this plane, I just want to let everybody know that Jesus Christ loves you and he has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. In in, uh, February of 2021, Jesus Christ delivered me from a lifestyle of homosexuality, anxiety, (laughs) depression, pornography. My wife, Jesus Christ, delivered her from drugs like LSD, weed, ecstasy, and a lukewarm Christian lifestyle. So we want to let everybody know if he could do it for nobody like me, he could do it for anybody in this world. You know, the most important question you can ask yourself, my brothers and sisters, is if you were to die today, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? And the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. If you see the stuff that's going on in this world today, all the craziness that's going on, Jesus Christ is coming back really soon. So I want to encourage you guys to repent of your sins before it's too late. Okay, so uh, that that is like the most annoying. Like, dude, you're on a plane. Let me just shut this guy up for a second. Now, granted, I will give him a small amount of credit. At least he waited until the plane was on the ground. But still, you're trapped in there, dude. I don't want to listen to your shit, dude. Just can't just be silent. Why is it so hard now for everybody to just mind their business on a plane? Get on the freaking plane. Get your shit in the overhead compartment and don't take 10 fucking minutes doing it. And sit down and shut the hell up. I don't know. I did think that was funny. Deliver- Jesus delivered me from a life of homosexuality and pornography. <laughs> Come on. I don't know. I don't know, dude. I bet you're still uh bet you're still checking out dudes. I'm just gonna say that. Okay, remember that Iranian chick who stabbed the guy during this uh, having sex with him in a Vegas hotel to avenge the Iranian drone strike? You guys remember this? 
Yeah, she has avoided jail. Um, that would that was twenty two year old Nika Nikalbin. She stabbed her lover during sex in a Vegas hotel room to avenge. That was a poorly phrased headline. A U.S. drone strike that killed that top Iranian general, Soleimani. You guys remember him when we sent the Ginsu blade drone and killed him in uh, Iraq? She pleaded guilty to two counts of false imprisonment with use of a deadly weapon during her court appearance. And um, she has avoided jail. She stabbed her victim in the neck. She, she was sentenced to no more than 36 months probation. How is that? I mean, obviously, this is some far leftist communist Soros prosecutor. This was in March of 2022 when this happened. I remember covering it at the time. She blindfolded her plenty of fish date. That's like a dating website. Reached into her purse while his eyes were covered. Pulled out a knife and stabbed him twice in the neck. She said she did so in retaliation after former President Donald Trump ordered the assassination by drone strike of top Iranian General Qasem Soleimani outside the Baghdad airport in January of 2020. So, like, this is like over two years after he was killed, and this chick is still stewing about it. What a fucking nut. How is stabbing somebody in the neck? How do you, like, not go to jail? Unreal, dude. Maybe I should start committing crimes because it seems like there's not like a lot of consequences for it. Okay, let's see here. Um, what else? Oh, here's a couple stupid gun stories. Here's the first one. Ten-year-old Nashville boy was fatally shot in the head by his 14-year-old brother. And yes, it was... A negligent shooting wasn't on purpose. Happened at 10.40 in the morning. The child is upstairs playing video games with his 14-year-old stepbrother and 12-year-old brother. The parents had left the house to run an errand. During this period, the 14-year-old accessed a pistol stored at the top of a closet. And yes, the gun was loaded and his finger went on the trigger and he shot the victim in the head. Died. <sighs> Horrible, man. And then another one. Uh, a child fatally shot another child in Alaska when they got their hands on a loaded gun. This was a rifle. The two kids were playing with toy Nerf guns around 1.45 a.m.? Hmm. This is in the town of Mountain Village. Apparently, it's an indigenous town. And then one child decided to pick up a loaded rifle and pulled the trigger, and it killed the second child. Uh, does it say the ages here? The children found the gun inside the home where the shooting occurred. An adult was inside the home at the time of the shooting. No charges have yet been filed in the case. It's still under investigation. Uh, no details about the children involved, including their ages, are being released yet. They did not explicitly say whether the shooting was accidental. Hmm. Mountain Village is this indigenous community of 600 people. They practice a traditional subsistence lifestyle. I guess they're like hunters, right? This is rare in Alaska, because you know, which would you would expect? These kids grew up around guns. Alaska has not had a child-related shooting since 2019. Uh, yeah, so they're not saying it was this. They're not saying this one was an accident. Not yet. We'll watch that one. Let's talk about the Lizzo lawsuit. This is great. 
Yeah, Lizzo. You guys know this. You guys know the singer. If you don't know who, if you're an older person, you don't know who Lizzo is. She is the um, African American female pop star. She's the very large one. I'll just be nice and put it that way. Now, the sad thing about it, and I've said it before, the sad thing about that is Lizzo is actually one of the very musically talented people there are. Like, she's a classically trained musician. She's very talented, and I don't know why she insists on being completely obese and, you know, wearing these hugely inappropriate outfits. She wears, like, fucking thongs and shit, and it's disgusting. I don't know why she does that. She's talented. Why do that? But, yes, uh, she has been sued by three of her former backup dancers, accusing her of sexual harassment and creating a hostile work environment. And now uh, a couple more coming forth as well. So the first three claimed she made them perform sex acts with a banana and that she weight-shamed all of her dancers privately, <laughs> which is funny because Lizzo's huge and fat, and she puts out this public image of, like, oh, all sizes are beautiful, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, dude. And a couple other dancers are now coming forward saying, no, no, no. This was my experience with Lizzo as well. Uh, let me get to the charges in a second here. Yeah, so apparently the charges, this comes from when uh, Lizzo invited cast members to take turns touching the nude performers inside an Amsterdam strip club. She allegedly encouraged catching dildos launched from the performers' vaginas and eating bananas protruding from the performers' vaginas. No. Gross. Uh, what, any details here? Her head dance person is also being accused as well. This is gross, dude. Yep. Specifically accused of disability discrimination, creating a hostile work environment, sexual harassment, and failing to stop all of the above issues. Uh, she is defending herself. She has broken her silence now. She is saying it is unbelievable and outrageous, this sexual harassment lawsuit. She insisted that the claims are untrue. She alleges the accusers had previously been warned about their own inappropriate and unprofessional conduct. Uh, she did address the banana sex act allegations. <laughs> What'd she say about this? Um, she said these sensationalized stories are coming from formerly former employees who have already publicly admitted that they were told their behavior on tour was inappropriate and unprofessional. Did she say, what'd she say about the bananas? I'm just scrolling down here. Mm-hmm. Do, 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 do. Yeah, there's... Yeah, there's, she didn't. She's not addressing here, addressing the bananas. You can go read the whole lawsuit online if you guys want to. Uh, yeah. So she's denying the whole thing. She's like, no, this is disgruntled employees. Now that one's over here. Now I want to go to the Rudy Giuliani lawsuit, and I put this one on Instagram. A lot of you guys enjoyed it. Yeah. So he is he's being sued by uh, a chick who used to work for him. And he's being sued by Noelle Dunphy. She's suing him for $10 million. And she filed a 70-page complaint full of graphic allegations and text messages. She alleged Giuliani forced her to have oral sex and intercourse with him, in addition to making sexist, racist, drunken, and anti-Semitic remarks when she worked for him from 2019 to 2021. So she recorded some of their interactions, right? Giuliani is denying all this. But the... Court transcripts, the, the, the lawsuit transcript came out, and they, trans, they transcripted the audio 
tape, right? And I'm going to read it in a dramatic fashion. Here's one of here's the part that I posted. Um, Mr. Giuliani, here's what he said. Quote, come here, big tits. Come here, big tits. Your tits belong to me. Give them to me. I want to claim my tits. I want to claim my tits. I want to claim my tits. Those are my tits. Ms. Dunphy, oh yeah. Mr. Giuliani, these breasts belong to me. Nobody else can get near these, okay? I don't care if they're flirting or if they give you business cards. These are mine. You got it. Ms. Dunphy, yes. Mr. Giuliani, understand? I'm very fucking possessive. I've gone easy on you. She says, I don't know. He says, I've been easy on you. She says, you're pretty tough on me. I've been easy on you. Give them to me. <laughs> uh, I will say more than one female uh, reacted to my posting that by saying, you know what, That's, that would be kind of hot if it wasn't Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, if it was Chris Helmsworth saying that, it'd probably be a lot different. Yeah, he also, uh, in addition to that, uh, he said, I want to own you. You're my whore. You're my fucking slut. <laughs> they engaged in role play in which Giuliani fantasizes, fantasizes about Dunphy as, quote, my little girl, end quote. Oh, jeez. <laughs> There's more. That's right. Yeah, he's fantasizing about going right to the hotel. Um, and he says, yeah, and we go right ahead wherever, on the floor of the living room as soon as we get in. We don't even make it to the bedroom. He's talking about coitus here, if you didn't pick that up. She says, yeah. All of the clothes come off. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Let the doorman wait outside to bring in the luggage. Wait, wait. We need a little time alone. Yeah, I need a little time alone with my girlfriend here. That's right. With my daughter. That's right. With my little girl. <laughs> Uh, this tremendous uh, Giuliani, another one. This tremendous attraction to you physically. I can't think about you or I get hard. Even if I think about how smart you are, I'll get hard. God. Oh, man. He also, is it in this story? He he apparently was uh, using some racial slurs as well, but I don't have that in front of me. So it's unfortunate. But it's on tape, dude. Old Giuliani. He's fucking wild, dude. All right. Uh, did you guys see the video of the Somalia sprinter, the female sprinter? It was a 100-yard dash race, and this Somali sprinter ran it in, like, 30 seconds. She was, like, she was slower than your mother runs. And uh, I thought it was a fake. I was like, this is, like, some kind of bit, a gag. But no. It was an untrained sprinter from Somalia in a 100-meter dash, and now the Somalia's athletics boss has been suspended after this went viral. Oh, here we go. 22 seconds to complete the 100-meter sprint. 20-year-old Nazra Abukar Ali came in dead last at the World University Games in Chengdu, China on Tuesday. Uh, she took twice as long as to finish as the winner, which was a chick from Brazil. If you watch the video, she's so far behind the pack that she is out of frame for most of the race. So a lot of people were like, what? And uh, social media users held it up as an example of the corruption and incompetence of the Somali government. Yeah, no way. And Sports Minister Mohamed Mohamud said on Wednesday that inquiries with the National Olympic Committee revealed that Ali had no background in running or any other sport. So he suspended Somali Athletics Federation chairwoman Kadiho Aden Dahir 
for, quote, abuse of power, nepotism, and defaming the name of the nation, end quote, and would take legal action over the incident. Uh, I don't I don't know how this happened. The story doesn't it, it doesn't spell out like how this actually happened. It's fucking hilarious though. Oh guys, one of my topics what what's what are some of my favorite topics? Think to yourself a little bit. Yeah, you guys know them by now. Uh you know I like the sex robots. Uh let's see, I like um I like all kinds of stuff like that. But uh one of my favorite topics is the hidden cameras. That's right. How about this? Let's go to uh, the... Where is this? Wisconsin. It's a Wisconsin beach, presumably a lake. A hidden camera was found inside the toilet of a porta potty. Ew. Battery-operated camera, dude. A beachgoer discovered the, the camera, and officers with the... Uh, you Wisconsin people, help me out here. Officers with the Oconomowoc Police Department responded to Bender Beach, and they confirmed a camera was secured in the toilet and was visible when the seat was lifted. Ew. So now they're looking at every city bathroom in porta potty. They still haven't, they don't know who it is yet. Isn't that fucking nuts? Why is that a turn on, guys? That's, uh, so you get to what? You get to see some fucking huge fat chick just dropping like some steaming fucking deuce? Oh. Yeah, it's just not hot. That's the last place I want to see anything. And that's not the only hidden camera story. Let's go to Louisiana. A doctor, a medical doctor at Jefferson Parish Oshner Hospital is in jail for illegally videoing fellow employees. Deputies arrested 31-year-old resident trainee Andrew Matthews after receiving a complaint of finding a recording device reportedly hidden in a restroom. Gross. And this, again, is in the bathroom. Security staff was able to locate who the device allegedly belonged to. I don't know how they did that. But they did turn Matthews and the camera over to sheriff's deputies. While searching the device, deputies reportedly found dozens of videos taken inside what we believe are staff-only restrooms with at least 10 people in the video. Gross. Gross. Anything else? Is that what, there's got to be more. Let me, let me quickly, guys. I'm gonna, I don't do this all the time, but I want to see. There's another story here. Any update on this? He's facing 10 counts of video voyeurism. Um... Any nudity? Let me see here. Yeah, they said um, you can cut down the... Ha- they were talking to the sheriffs about this, who's a guy who's seen a couple of these, and he's like, yeah, dude, you can cut down... You can take the housing out of a camera. It'll still work, and it'll be like the size of a little like nail, like nothing. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, that's all we know. So these... Uh, but a doctor... So gross, dude. And the shitter. The porta potty. Disgusting. Did you hear the cop? Did you guys see the video? This went viral. A cop uh, pulled over a Florida teenager driving 132 miles an hour on the interstate. And uh, he went ballistic and he called the parents. Let's uh, hear this. 132 miles an hour. How old are you? You're 16. Whose car is this? 
tell your father I need him here now. Dad, this is Corporal Ricker at the Orange County Sheriff's Office. I need you to come out here and uh, pick up your son. I'm on the express lanes, I-4 express lanes. I just clocked your son at 132 miles an hour. I'm showing the radar gun. 132 miles an hour. Can you and uh, another driver come get him? Thank you, sir. You understand if you were 18, you'd, you'd be going to jail for reckless driving. Okay, you're getting a speeding citation that requires a court appearance. You got to appear in court, downtown Orlando. That's about it. I'm going to explain it to your dad. Okay, I called you guys out here. Uh, parents roll up now. Two main reasons. One, I want you to see it. it shows them the gun. 132 miles an hour. I guess, personally, why I call you and, and made you come out here is I had a kid about eight, nine, ten years ago that I stopped in a brand new Mustang. And his parents were going through divorce. They bought him this car and all this. He was like 16. We go to court. Both parents are there. Their lawyer was there. And I talked to him. I said, look, this kid, this car is too much for him. He, he's not going to handle it. Oh, we're, well, we're going we're gonna to take the car away from him and everything else. About two months later, I saw the attorney again. And he says, yeah, three weeks after that court date, he wrapped the car around a tree. Yeah. And now these parents don't have a kid. I did not charge him reckless criminal. If he was 18, he'd be going to jail the car Alright, so yeah, pretty pretty sad. It, it looks like it was a Tesla, which can go quite fast. So, yeah, dude, you can't give a kid a car like that. It's 132 miles an hour. Gross. Uh, speaking of gross, uh, guys, we got another woman and bestiality story. And I know this is not to be confused with the one I did last week. Let's go to Florida. A Hillsborough County woman is facing more than 100 counts of child pornography and bestiality charges. Again, the sheriff's office got a tip from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children that someone is uploading child pornography. And they tracked down 18-year-old Emery Romero. She allowed detectives to search her phone, and they said they found multiple files of her engaging in sexual acts with her pet dog. Ugh. And yes, they also found a lot of child pornography. 18 years old. How, how does an 18-year-old like get into that? Like, What's the trigger? How do you figure that out? That Oh, yeah, the, yeah I'm fucking into this. <laughs> so, uh, it's so gross. Um, okay. Let's see here. Let's do a couple more political stories. Well, I've got some good audio clips I wanted to play. Uh, let's first do this one. Let's talk about Kamala Harris. She put out some bangers this week, like she usually does. I know you guys love them. Um, oh, did they delete that one? Oh, no, here we go. Uh, Kamala Harris says uh, all you young people are uh, terrified of uh, global warming, climate change. Let's so you look at, for example, young voters. I've been traveling the country meeting with our young leaders who in particular are talking to me about the climate crisis. They turned me on to a term I had not heard before. I said, tell me how you all are thinking about the climate crisis. And they shared with me a term, climate anxiety. They're concerned about their future in, in almost a doomsday fear 
Okay, that's crazy. About what might be within a couple of decades of now. They are concerned about whether they should have children, whether they should own, even try to buy a home, because what does the future hold for that prospect? Okay, you're obviously not meeting any normal kids. You're meeting, like, activists. Do you guys, do you know any climate anxiety? Do you know? Do you know any, like, young person who's like that? Uh, and then here she is talking about illegal immigration. This should be hilarious. Migrants have been dropped off right at your doorstep by some GOP-led states. Despite those tactics, you do have Republicans who are largely making inroads with Latino voters. And there are many critics, some within your own party, who say uh, that there's more that, that your administration should be doing on the migration front. Do they have a point? So, first of all, let's agree that people should not be the pawns in a political game. Human beings should not be treated as pawns in a political game. What is happening in terms of sending these migrants, most of whom have fleed great harm, and sending them across the country for the sake of some political showmanship is just irresponsible. If you want to deal with the problem, then do it if you are a leader by participating in the solution. All right, what's that? Well, oh, she doesn't say how it cuts off. I was going to say, well, what's the solution? Uh, she'd say something like, we need to reinvest in blah, blah, blah. She'd say nothing. Uh, yes, and uh, since I'm running out of time, I just, uh, I, I, my, yeah, I wanted, my sister-in-law wanted me to talk about the, uh, the space command. It's not going to go to Alabama anymore. It's going to stay in Colorado. I, I was like, dude, I just can't get into it that much. Uh, I wanted to play this video. Here is a uh, African-American man in what looks like a convenience store. And he's uh, analyzing politics. I thought this was pretty funny. Let's listen. Man, you'll be surprised to hear this shit from a minority of nigga like me. We fucking with Trump. We need him back. We need him back. Biden ain't do shit for us, but brought us down. More debt, more budget, and he's a bitch-ass nigga. We over here fucked up. He's sending all that money to Ukraine. Ukraine. I don't give a fuck. They put the war fucking it up for us. Give us some money. Billions, all this shit. We got homeless back over here sleeping outside, but he's sending all that motherfucking money overseas. Fuck you, Biden. <laughs> I like how you pronounce the, the the Ukraine or Ukraine, whatever he said. Uh yes. And uh, I did want to play one from um, Ron DeSantis where he's pushing back on Trump. Oh, and by the way, Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom are apparently going to have a debate. Which, uh, Gavin Newsom, I'll just tell you right now what's going to happen. Gavin Newsom is going to yammer about abortion and race the entire fucking time. So, I will still watch it for sure. That should be some good audio clips. But here's uh, DeSantis being interviewed on Fox News about the COVID shutdowns. And De DeSantis pushed back on Trump. Because he has better PR than other governors, but other governors did a better job than Ron DeSantis. <laughs> well, he, did, he used to say the opposite. Let's just be clear. You go back a year or two, he would say, what a great job I've done in Florida, how I'm one of the country's great governors, uh, how Florida is such a great state. He always said that for years and years until about three days before the midterm election. Then he started to attack me. And I think it's because he saw that we were going to win a big victory. And I think he viewed me as a political threat. So now he's flip-flopped on all that and is trying to say we did a bad job. I fought his administration to keep our state open, to have kids in school. Fauci, the task force, all those people, they were sending me missives. Even January of 2021, right before he left office, his task force was telling us in Florida to close. And so 
He didn't have control over his own government. He didn't have control over Fauci. Fauci ran that government his last year in office. Trump should have fired him. He did not do that. He elevated Fauci, and he made Fauci an international celebrity. And here's the thing. I fought back against it, but the reality is Fauci's policies were adopted in a lot of the blue states. Kids were locked out of school for a year. You had businesses shuttered for good, small businesses. There Should was a the U.S. have locked down at all? No, no. It was a catastrophic mistake to do that. Back at that time, there was a lot of uncertainty. I get it. But knowing what we know now, that was a catastrophic mistake, and we can never let that happen to our country again. All right, so there's the, I mean, what, you guys, you guys DeSantis haters? I mean, do you disagree with anything he said there? I don't know. But yeah, DeSantis is behind, uh, behind him by about 50 fucking points, so what does it matter? Oh, and then just quickly, here's Trump at some rally. I think he's in Pennsylvania or something. Yeah, he's in Erie, Pennsylvania. <laughs> he's talking about the Biden crime family. <laughs> I love that too. When we win the election... A little more than a year from now, I will appoint a real special prosecutor to expose the monumental corruption of the Biden crime family once and for all. <laughs> the Biden crime family. That's so great. Okay, almost out of time, guys. Let me just do some uh, quick last headlines. I didn't even talk, I didn't even get to Russia, Ukraine, you guys, but basically, um, Ukraine says Russia launched overnight drones against them moscow launched at least 10 drones at the city and then meanwhile a russian warship was damaged in a ukrainian drone attack so the drone wars continue to escalate that long-running columbia and rebel group fighting is beginning a ceasefire after decades of combat due to six-month truce began on Thursday between the government and the largest remaining insurgency, the far-left group known as the National Liberation Army. We'll see how long that lasts. Uh, Kenya is offering to send a police force to Haiti. This should be great. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> they, yeah, Kenya said in a statement that they would, quote, positively consider, end quote, leading an international force to take control of Haiti, which is a shithole and completely unlawful, by sending 1,000 police officers to the Caribbean nation. Oh, I, please let this happen. Please let this happen. Yeah, that'd be great. A bunch of Kenyan police officers just busting gang heads in Haiti. Oh, that'd be sweet. Uh, at least five people were killed in the Palestinian refugee camp in Lebanon. Rival factions have been fighting there for three days. This is the south part of Beirut. Um, let's see. An asylum court, I'm sorry, an appeals court has allowed Biden's asylum restrictions to continue for now. You guys remember um, that uh, a federal judge had struck down the policy last week, but his ruling had not yet taken effect. So an appeals court is now letting that go through. That was when Biden put into place the new rules for asylum seekers that presume most migrants who illegally cross from Mexico are ineligible for asylum. Well, the migrant activists sued, of course. So it sounds like still he can do that. Whether or not they'll actually deport anybody is a whole different matter. Uh, let me see here. Oh, these two stories quickly. Did you see the fucking canines, the police canines who died in the truck? Oh, 
They were German shepherds were being transported from Chicago to a training center for police dogs in Michigan City, Indiana. They died in the heat on Thursday after an air conditioning unit that was being used to keep the animals cool failed. And um, it, I saw eight dogs. I said ten. Do- I saw ten dogs dead. And uh, you truckers weighed in and told me there's no excuse for this. They they're supposed to have an air, uh, a temperature gauge in the back, and even if they didn't, you'd have live cargo. You stop and check it, so there's no excuse. And then in the second sad canine story, a San Diego police canine was shot to death. Yeah, dude, uh, a 33 year old man. Shot and killed a police dog named Sir out here. He, in turn, was then shot to death by an officer during a standoff at one of our local community colleges here uh, this week. This happened at 1.23 in the morning, and he was holed up, so they sent the dog after him. He killed the dog. Terrible, terrible. He should get, well, he did get the death penalty, which is great. They didn't let him live, which is awesome. Uh, Biden has acknowledged his seventh grandchild. <laughs> the one That's the one that a hunter had with the... Uh, the stripper, so good for him for finally coming out with it. A truck driver has had one of his two penises removed after sex became too much of a challenge. Yeah, this is in Los Angeles. A man identified only as Tank was born with diphthalia, an extremely rare genetic abnormality in which a male is born with two functioning penises. Yeah, dude. He uh, did an interview on YouTube. He said, women didn't believe when I told him I had two penises, but then I took him in the room, they'd see. He said some of his partners enjoyed being penetrated with both penises. <laughs> he did have one of them removed. And finally, you guys, I'm out of time. I have to go to the big finish. Let's go to Florida and go to Flagler County. County Sheriff's deputies arrested 36-year-old Eliezer Torres. And what did Eliezer Torres do? Well, he was accused of shoplifting at Goodwill. And then he was accused of breaking into Christ the King Lutheran Church's playground. He destroyed some property there so he could charge his cell phone. And then he decided to pleasure himself at the entrance to the church. <laughs> the staffer at the church noticed damages to the playground's entry gate at dawn Saturday morning, then watched surveillance camera footage that depicted the man later identified as Torres prying open the gates to the campus at 3.30 a.m. He then damaged he damaged the gate box to gain entry, and then he removed the cover to an electrical outlet on the ground so he could charge his cell phone. He is then seen stripping off his clothes at the church entrance and proceeding to furiously masturbate. <laughs> Presumably, he finished... Because then two hours later, he put on his yellow t-shirt and black athletic shorts and he left the church's ground. He started rummaging through mailboxes along U.S. uh, Highway 1. Uh, A deputy circulated uh, images and uh, he was kind of uh, caught up with. This Christ the King Academy, by the way, this church, it also runs an academy, a private K-8 through school and a voluntary pre-kindergarten. So like kids are there, right? So, Torres, when they caught up with him, he readily admitted he had been at Christ the King's campus, and he said he felt he had the right to be there. When he was asked about about pleasuring himself at the entrance to the church, Torres said he had, quote, needs, end quote, to attend to. He is facing charges of indecent exposure. Oh, 
This is interesting. So in Florida, here's the hiccup. To face a charge of indecent exposure usually requires somebody witness it. So he was only caught on camera, right? So they're going to drop that. They also charge him with trespassing on school property and theft. Well, what about like vandalism for the fucking jizz that he coated the front of the church with? Come on, guys. You got to get a little bit more creative. Florida guy jizzing on a church. That's it, guys. That's the big finish. I am worn out. And uh, that's two and a half hours. No breaks, no editing of any kind. It's unbelievable. Nobody else is capable of doing it except the bronzed one. Guys, one more time. Really appreciate you so much. Uh, I'm sorry I had to bring up the Patreon thing at the beginning, but again, that's how I'm able to do this every week. So again, if this podcast, uh, if you enjoy it, I know a lot of you enjoy it and you mail me to tell me so, and I really appreciate that. And if you have never considered becoming a patron, I'd love it if you did. Buck, two bucks a month. Guys, it's less than your cup of coffee. All for two and a half hours. You can't beat it. Uh, What is that? That's uh, like basically 10 hours plus a week, a month of entertainment that you get from this guy. So patreon.com, type BK Actual in the search box. And then you can follow me on Twitter, at Bravo Kilo Actual, and Instagram, at BK Actual. Guys, that's all I got. I'll see you next week.